0: What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 193 for Thursday, August 1st, 2013. I'm your host Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324- 3541. Again, that call-in number 347- 324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347 815 347 mtr Alright, so we're back. Feels like Ages since I've been on air, took last week off, suffering some serious mental burnout. I was all kinds of fucked up last week, Uh, no kind of sleeping, just backlogged with stuff for the site and tons of other stuff, so I figured I would give myself a well-deserved break and come back fresh for our first show of August. We are seven episodes away from the big MTR 200, and we got a lot to discuss during uh, that week off, I was a little bummed, primarily because Comic Con happened that week, and there was a lot of stuff to discuss from Comic Con that I really wanted to get into. But like I said, I just didn't, I just didn't have the tools to to do the show justice last week. So, like I said, we're back on live this week. Everything, including our broadcast schedule, will be normal for the remainder of the month, unless something changes, of course, which I highly doubt. Anyway, like I said, we are seven episodes away from the big MTR 200, and we got a couple of things I want to get into first on the housekeeping side of things. Uh, First off, we have a ton of new content on the site, reviews for Pacific Rim, The Wolverine. Uh, We got some comic reviews from Mortis. We got a new installment of Buried and a bunch of movie trailers as well. There's also going to be some stuff posted up later on this evening. We've also launched our Cosplay of the Day feature, and we're also going to be spotlighting some artists as well with some really cool art features that we're going to try and do. Shout out a lot of great artists that we come across on DeviantArt and Pinterest, etc., just to give you guys a a different palette of information that you guys can, can enjoy. But one of the things that I've noticed as of late is we are getting a lot of You know, a lot of different traffic on the fan page and a lot of people have been approaching us for a lot of different things that they want to work with us on and hopefully we'll have some announcements in the coming weeks with regards to that. But what I wanted to get into is some giveaways. We're going to be doing some giveaways because we got a lot of stuff from Consumer Electronics Week. We got some stuff from the Book Expo. We got a ton of cool stuff to give away. We're also going to be working with Bello Digital to give away some headphones. You can check out the review we did for the BDH 821 headphones on my take radio.com. Uh, was so happy with that, that they're actually going to want to do giveaways for our Facebook and Twitter fans. So we'll be working with them in the coming weeks to give you guys the opportunity to grab some cool stuff. We also got some comics to give away, which I'm going to go through and hopefully give out this weekend One of the reasons that the giveaways have kind of slowed down is because I'm just trying to find creative ways to give stuff out. I know some of the followers on Twitter reached out and they were like, you know, you do a lot of the giveaways on Facebook. Some of us don't really use Facebook as much as we use Twitter. So I'm going to try and split that up in the coming weeks. I know, as always, it's just incredibly tough to come up with something that works. I mean, trivia contests are good or, um, you know guess this picture. Those are always good. But again, just trying to come up with different original stuff on a consistent basis is something we're going to be working on in the near future. Also very happy to hear that tune in radio is being offered now in more vehicles. So those of you that have tune in radio built in can actually listen to episodes of my take radio via tune in radio. Same thing with stitcher. A lot of radios now are also bundling stitcher in there. Um, A couple of guys at the job, that are familiar with the show, actually that work in some dealerships gave me a lot of static the last couple of days. Cause they found Stitcher on the radios in those cars and actually listened to the show. And then I got a couple of emails just, you know, breaking my balls about potty mouth and some of the stuff I say on air. So of course that was, that was definitely fun. But again, if you do happen to have Stitcher in your car, you can listen to the show that way as well. And Last but not least, we are working, hopefully, with Libsyn. uh, I'd like to say within the next month or so, we are going to probably make the Radio app free. You'll be able to pick it up via, obviously, Android and iOS devices. For Android, it'll be on Amazon. Right now, there's only the paid app, but we're probably going to do a scaled-down free app that will be released via both marketplaces in the near future. As soon as that information is live, by all means... You know, make sure to reach out if you guys see it before I do. Otherwise, I will make an announcement on the site. All right. So we got a lot to discuss this week. We have UFC on Fox 8. I want to talk about Bellator this past Wednesday. We're going to talk about WWE Raw, including the Randy Orton nutshot heard around the world. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. We're going to talk about WWE 2K14, we got some what-the-fuck movie news, including reboot news, some small screen news, and we also got some gaming news, including some very, very crazy statistics regarding the Wii U. So, with that said, let's get the ball rolling and start with some MMA. So I figured let's open up with UFC on Fox 8, which had a, a, a awesome night of fights from start to finish. We also got uh, the ladies taking center stage with some fights as well. Uh, Jermaine Durandamy took on Julie Kedzie on the prelims on FX in a very, very good fight. I mean, Dana White kind of gave, um, gave a lot of shit to this fight, primarily just because I don't know if he was expecting more... Uh, a more aggressive fight. I mean, Julie Kedzie looked really good. I, I've been following Julie Kedzie since, since she fought in Strike Force and the match itself was pretty solid. Jermaine Durandamy definitely was on her A game, throwing some really good strikes. She looked pretty solid in her in her bout in the UFC. And honestly, I think one of the things that's going to be happening with the bantamweight division with the ladies is you're going to start seeing that. A lot of fighters are going to come in, they're going to start coming into their own and creating their own fan base. I mean, one of the other fights later on in the card was with Liz Carmouche, and I'm going to discuss that. But what's happening is you're starting to see um, which ladies really have made the transition to the UFC and which ones are still, uh, not to say starstruck, but I think there's, there's definitely a little bit more apprehension because it's such a bigger stage. But nonetheless, I was thoroughly entertained by... The fight between both ladies and I don't know I mean a lot of people were kind of shitting on the fight but I really enjoyed it I was happy to see Eve Edwards and uh, Darren Cruikshank's fight was better than I expected I really thought Eve Edwards Eve Edwards was going to go in there the guy's a veteran uh, 42 and 19 he was going to come in there and run through Darren Cruikshank but that was not the case uh, Cruickshank ended up taking the fight via split decision I was a, like I said, I was a little bummed just because I like Eve Edwards, but they were extremely competitive, and it was a really, really close fight. Edwards, especially in the first round, had outstruck Kriuk-Shank, Um Looked really good in there. The second round seemed, in my opinion, a little, a little bit of a draw, but the third round, Shank definitely turned it up to get himself the split decision. Uh, Melvin Gallard came in there and unleashed a napalm fist from hell, taking Matt Danzig and putting him in sleepville with a knockout at two minutes and 47 seconds in round two. Definitely a big statement made by the young assassin against a very, very game, um, very, very game opponent. Now the thing that gets me is that Matt Danzig is a guy who he's been with the UFC quite some time. He comes out there. He really, um, he really delivers some solid fights, but Melvin Gallard, he he's had such a crazy run, the last couple of months that it was a it was a no-brainer he was going to come out there and do something crazy mortis i see what you just said and you spoiled it because i was going to talk about that in the wrestling segment damn it <laughs> anyway the other fight i wanted to talk about was michael chiesa and jorge masvidal masvidal looked extremely impressive in that fight i mean chiesa came out and and looked solid in that first round but Jorge Masvidal was not playing. Ended up securing the victory via Darce choke submission at four minutes fifty nine seconds in round number two. Moving into the main card, Jessica Andrade and Liz Carmouche was a problem. Uh, Liz Carmouche, A.K.A. Uriah Faber 2.0, went in there and unleashed a barrage of strikes to the point where the when the fight went to the ground, she just unleashed a flurry of elbows to Jessica Andrade's head and it was lights out. Herb Dean had to step in there and mercifully end that fight. Liz Carmouche via TKO in round two. Amazing, amazing performance. She looked dynamite in that fight, and um, Liz Carmouche is here to stay. I mean, no disrespect to Jessica Andrade. She looked really good in the opening bout, in the opening round, but Liz Carmouche was coming in here to make a statement. She definitely wants another title opportunity. Robbie Lawler proceeded to detonate His kick by the side of Bobby Volker's head by knocking him the fuck out at 24 seconds in the second round. Robbie Lawler's another guy coming in trying to make a statement right out of strike force. He looked really good in this this fight. And I think Robbie Lawler will be challenging for the welterweight title very soon. I mean, he usually comes in there and, and kills people dead with strikes. But a beautiful head kick KO from the ruthless one gives him the victory. At 24 seconds in the second round. Now, coming off that beautiful knockout, we go into Rory McDonald and Jake Ellenberger. Which pretty much was extremely, extremely overhyped. And it just didn't deliver it. It was basically Rory McDonald working the jab. I really thought he was going to come in there and be super aggressive. Like he was in his fight with BJ Penn. And, um, you know, it was it was embarrassing. It was just not no disrespect to either guy because both guys are talented fighters but it just it just looks shitty it just looks super shitty the way that fight went down there was so much there was so much shit talking on twitter um so much hype going into this fight and i really expected it to be a slugfest fight of the night and i just i was really really let down super let down by the way it went but you know It was redeemed with the flyweight title fight. Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson taking on John Moraga in an extremely one-sided fight. Demetrius Johnson just looked super impressive in there. Ended up securing the victory via submission arm bar in the the fifth round. Um, Demetrius Johnson definitely making a statement as well, showing he could weather the storm. And again, another impressive performance for Mighty Mouse. Definitely opens up a couple of possibilities, maybe some super fights, which we'll discuss later on in the segment, but overall, a solid, solid night of fights from UFC on Fox. Switching gears and going into the Bellator side of things, um, Bellator delivered a solid title fight, Ben Askren, um, as usual, delivers what what some people just want to say is the wet blanket offense, but I'm going to just pluck out a couple of fights from this, of course, Patricio Pitbull foray take on Jared Downing. Um, the Pitbull went in there, and again, just nasty, nasty stand up. It was it was disgusting the way it went down. Um, Jared Downing, you you kind of felt bad for him. He just had a nasty, nasty fall head bouncing off the mat, super hard. I thought I thought he was extreme. I mean, the way it went, the way it went, it almost looked like the impact from the strike. Made his head bounce back, and then as he hit the as he hit the mat, his head bounced back a second time, which definitely had to have rattled his brain quite a bit. I mean, again, Pitbull making a tremendous statement for himself in the Bellator featherweight division. Extremely, extremely impressive performance on his part. Uh, the heavyweight tournament finals had Ryan Martinez taking on Vitali Minakov. Minakov secures victory in the third round with a TKO. He now receives a heavyweight title shot. And of course, the highly anticipated fight between King Mo and Jacob No went a little bit different than I expected. I thought Mo was gonna go in there and really stand and bang, but he ended up using what he is known for best, and that being his wrestling. Using his wrestling to neutralize Jacob No to the point where it was it was just disgusting the way it went. It was it was so bad that you would have thought. That he was fighting a guy that was from the amateur level. I mean, Jacob Noah has a 12-2 record, and King Moe just made him look like a rookie in that fight. Extremely impressive performance by Mo. Now onto the main event side of things, of course, Ben Askren used what Ben Askren knows also well, and that being his wrestling to set up the TKO in the fourth round. I mean, it was complete embarrassment for karishkov courtesy of Ben Askren. Ben Askren just goes in there and puts a clinic on you. I mean, you know, his his wrestling is so top notch, and the the prospect of Ben Askren in the UFC is definitely interesting. I'd love to see Ben Askren and GSP. I mean, a lot of people say that that'll be the uh, the Nyquil fight, but I think it would be worth seeing because Ben Askren just goes in there and delivers. Now, of course, a lot of you guys are like, oh, you know. How are you not going to talk about the big Rampage announcement? I'm going to give my thoughts on that once I finish discussing the fights. Uh, The other title fight was Michael Chandler and David Rickles, and it ended violently as Michael Chandler um, knocked David Rickles clean out. It was just ridiculous. He used a counter left to drop David Rickles, at which point it was just disgusting ground-and-pound And it was mercifully ended 44 seconds in the first round. Michael Chandler is a problem. Simple as that. Now, with regards to Rampage's announcement, Bellator will be making a pay-per-view debut with the main event being Rampage. Jackson taking on the newly unretired Tito Ortiz. That goes down Saturday, November 2nd on pay-per-view. Now, the crazy thing about this is, I'm a big Rampage fan. I followed his career all the way back from Pride Fighting Championships. Um, I'm a big fan of Tito's also, but I think in Tito's case, he retired and that was it. It almost feels like he's just coming back for a payday. And Bellator is starting to become the UFC Masters division. That's that's how I see it because you know you got Tito in there, you got Randy involved. I'm surprised Randy isn't coming out of retirement either to fight Tito. And the other concept. That really trips me out is we're getting this fight on pay-per-view. It's Bellator's pay-per-view debut, and the thing that gets me is, all right, you're gonna debut on pay-per-view, and you're using this fight as your get. Now, normally, an, an HD pay-per-view on the, from the UFC is sixty dollars usually, sixty to sixty-five, depending. Sometimes it's sixty-four ninety-nine. Sometimes I get billed fifty-nine. Who knows? But you gotta look at it. From the standpoint that if Bellator expects you to pay sixty dollars for this card, they are out of their fucking minds. Seriously. Now, if if they say, hey, we're going to give you guys this this pay per view for twenty four ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine, I think I think it would not be so bad. But if you're going to really try and give us a UFC price point with the, the with a with a dangling carrot of Rampage and Tito, it just doesn't work. I mean. Mortis said it best. Tito has won one fight in his past nine. All I'm saying, one fight in his past nine. It's it's ridiculous. And, and again, it, it's true. Mortis said, "I thought Bellator didn't want to sign UFC leftovers." That's what I'm saying. They're trying to. They're really creating the UFC Masters division. Just all these older guys. And again, there's nothing wrong with the older guys fighting. The problem with th- with this is that. We're getting a solid light heavyweight fight that would have been worth watching for $60 maybe eight years ago. Like, like that's what I'm saying. Like, this fight between, I'd like to say six and eight years ago would have been a problem. Everybody would have been chomping at the bit to see this fight. But let's think about it from the standpoint of you got two guys, both wrestlers, but Rampage has a nasty stand-up. Nasty. Tito's ground and pound is never to be denied. And I mean, he he did break out a submission in one of his last fights, so you never know. But I'm telling you right now, if they try to stand and bang, Rampage is putting Tito to sleep. It, it, again, using a, a cliché Joe Rogan quote, it depends on which Tito shows up. But I think we're going to get a motivated Tito Ortiz, um, you know, unless Jenna Jameson sucked every ounce of talent out of him, along with every potential child he would have probably sired the way I see it is wrestling wise Tito may take it to the ground, maybe try and secure a quick submission, but on the stand up it's rampage all day. And it look, it's, it's a nice fight. It's a nice fight for people that have been kind of on the fence about seeing, uh, which is the, you know, especially for me, I'm a fan of both guys, but it's not, you know, it, it's, it's not a fight. That's $60. And, Mortis again makes a valid point. If it's the Tito that fought Ryan Bader, then it'll be a decent fight. That's true. I mean, if you get that Tito or or the Tito that broke out that submission in 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 the fight, I think it was two fights before that one, then we might be into something. Even the Tito that fought Forrest Griffin is worth it. You know, the fact is it, it this fight is is fantastic if you jump in a time machine. Not to mention the fact that, you know, Tito Tito's getting money basically from Viacom. That's a Viacom deal, and it probably is gonna tie into something we're gonna discuss later on. But the fact is it's not a $60 pay-per-view fight. It's not. If anything, I'd like the fight people want to see is Rampage and King Mo. That's the fight I want to see as a fan. Rampage and King Mo is that's it. It's all I need to see. But Rampage and Tito not so much. Anyway, let's get into the rest of the MMA news for this week because there is a couple of things I got to discuss. The UFC on Fox 8 event uh, gave out some $50,000 bonuses. Melvin Gillard, of course, took knockout of the night for detonating his fist upon someone's head. Submission of the night went to Demetrius Johnson and, of course, fight of the night, Ed Herman and Trevor Smith. Now, with regards to pay, Demetrius Johnson made $58,000. That included a $29,000 win bonus to John Moraga's 17000 The guy who ended up racking up the most money was Robbie Lawler, who walked away with $156,000. Um, ended up getting a $78,000 win bonus. Bobby Volker got $12,000 for his head kick knockout loss. Simple as that. Twelve dollars Meanwhile, Robbie Lawler made $156,000. Serious, serious business for sure. Now, one of the things that's funny about the UFC on Fox 8 card was Dana White's comments with regard to Rory McDonald and Jake Ellenberger. Now, if you are are someone who follows Dana White on Twitter and on Facebook, then you know that there's there's definitely something to be said when your own boss thinks that your fight sucked. Now... I think that part of it was the fact that they respected each other's hands too much. I mean, Rory McDonald is 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 a problem. He went out there and he really put it to BJ Penn. And, you know, he didn't try and use that same strategy with Jake Ellenberger. And, um, you know, it just it just backfired. This is a fight and this is the thing that kills me. These are guys that are potential challengers for titles. And when they go out there and have performances like this it does it doesn't make them appealing like Dana White could have been like hey this is going to be a number 1 contender's fight and those guys probably may have fought a little differently but they just fought really safe i mean Jake Ellenberger's stats according to Dana White his punch stats were almost zero it was ridiculous it was ridiculous but it, it happens these guys aren't always going to have great fights but when when you're a guy like Rory McDonald who's being touted as the future of the sport, and the next GSP, you expect the guy to go out there and fucking, you know, leave it in the cage, and it was just super, super safe, it really um, brought the card down a little bit, especially after seeing so many great TKO and KO finishes, and submission finishes, we see that, and then it's just like, ugh, straight sleeping pill status. But, it is what it is, where where both guys go from there remains to be seen, I think Rory McDonald Needs a needs a you know the rematch with Carlos Condit. Maybe we get that, and depending on how that goes, maybe we get ourselves a title fight. Bellator started putting together their Bellator 100 card, which is going down in Phoenix, Arizona on September 20th. That's going to include the season eight welterweight tournament finals, as well as the start of the season 970 pound tournament. Douglas Lima is going to be taking on Ben Saunders in the welterweight tournament final. And um, the opening round for the season nine welterweight tournament will begin. Vaughn Anderson taking on War Machine, Lewis Mello's taking on Matt Riddle, Herman Torado's taking on Mark Scanlon. Justin Baseman is taking on Brent Weedman. Of course, the winner of the season eight welterweight final will get a title opportunity. I'm a big fan of Douglas Lima, but I'm also a fan of Killer B Ben Saunders. So. I am I can't even root against either guy for this fight. If either guy wins, I will definitely be happy. So switching gears a little bit, one of the one of the big news items this week that a lot of people were talking about were the change in in the ruling for a downed fighter. The Association of Boxing Commissions was discussing a possible change to what constitutes as a downed fighter. Now basically the way it works is is if the fighters down Usually, you know, if you're in a three point stance, they're they're gonna look at that a little differently because they're gonna view it as the fighter using that to draw a foul or to obtain benefit from a foul. So they're actually gonna allow referees to use their judgment with regards to the whole three point stance. And it's true. When you look at the at the three point stance, depending on the fight, some people actually do like to use that as a crutch to try and get themselves the intentional foul. We've seen that numerous times. I think that according to their recommendation, what they want is referees should instruct the fighters that they may still be considered a standing fighter, even if they have a finger or portion of the hand on the canvas. In the discretion of the referee, a fighter who has a finger or hand on the canvas still may be legally struck in the head with knees and kicks. The referee may decide that the down fighter is placing his or her finger or hand down without doing so for an offensive or countering maneuver in an attempt to advance or improve their position. The referee may decide that the downed opponent is instead simply trying to draw a foul. If the referee decides that the fighter is touching down simply to benefit from a foul, the referee may consider that the fighter is a standing fighter and decide that no foul has occurred. Additionally, a referee may penalize via warning or point deduction the offending fighter for timidity. So there you have it. The whole utilization of the three-point stance, or the fi- or the fingertip to the ground to uh, stop any strikes to the head may go out the window. And personally, I think this is something that is going to be very interesting because there's going to be referees that are, and I see it already. The Mazagatis are, are definitely going to be like, yeah, you know, the guys, the guys, uh, the guy's um, he got a foul. Herb Dean, who, who who's fought professionally he may look at it differently and may rule that the guy's trying to rule for a foul. So I think the changing in the ruling is going to open up uh, a lot of debate, and it's also going to change the way fighters strategize for fights. You know, going in there and trying to utilize the three-point stance to not get neat or kicked in the head it may not work anymore. So, of course, we'll be following this story closely as it develops, and once we get something official, we will share it with you guys. UFC Fight Night 28 has been finalized. That's going down on UFC on Fox Sports 1 and also, of course, on FX. Now, the main card is going to have Ryan Bader taking on Glover Teixeira. Yushin Okami is taking on Jacare. Joe Benavides is taking on Juicier Formiga. Uh, Piotr Hallman is taking on Francisco Trinaldo. Uh, Rafael Sapo Natal is taking on Tor Tronig. Um, I'm going to mess up this guy's name. Marcos Vinicius is taking on Ali... Bagal Tinov, Jesus. If I if I messed up that guy's name, I'm sorry. On the prelims, we got a couple of of solid fights as well. Um Sam Cecilia is on that on the undercard. Also um Sean Spencer, Yuri Villafort. Definitely a solid card, and of course it is free. Prelims, of course, will be on Facebook, and the rest will air on UFC on Fox Sports One. All right. So if you've been following Ronda Rousey the last couple of weeks via social media, you'll know that not only is she busy giving Misha Tate the finger at UFC press events, but she also has been recently cast in The Expendables 3. Now, when asked about the possibility that it would interfere with her training, she actually said that she will be training while filming Expendables 3. She also stated that, you know, by the time she finishes filming, uh, the season of The Ultimate Fighter will be over and the focus will be on her for the fight and not so much for her on The Ultimate Fighter. I mean, the, from what I've been hearing and all the hype surrounding this season, they, they're saying that it we're, we're going to get real Tito, Ken Shamrock level beef. And I mean, Ronda Rousey giving Misha Tate the finger and just getting up in her face at all these press events, especially the one here in New York City just goes to show that there's genuine animosity and now the funny thing is people are like oh you know it's manufactured beef and i'm gonna i'm gonna go on record and say something that i'm sure a lot of guys may agree with and um it's this when guys hate each other in mma they go in the cage and they settle their differences like men and move on women it's it's generic. It's as generic sounding as, as it's going to be. But when all women hate each other, this is these are the facts, even girls that are best friends, they'll say hello to each other. And then when they're talking to you, they'll be like, hey, did you notice that dress and made her look fat, etc. Now, Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate's beef is legit. This goes back to the Strike Force days. Where, you know, Ronda Rousey headbutted Misha Tate at the weigh-ins, like like there is legit, legit beef. Not not even factoring in good old uh Brian Tate, aka Brian Caraway in the equation, these women legitimately hate each other. Which means we're gonna get a crazy, crazy season. Not to mention the fact that their fight is probably gonna end viciously. Either Ronda Rousey's gonna walk out of there with, with Misha Tate's arm or she's gonna break it this time. Simple as that. I mean, Ronda Rousey's mainstream exposure is just out of control right now. She's doing the Expendables three. She's on the cover of Maxim for this month. But um, the freight train that is Ronda Rousey continues to roll on. Actually, I remember. Oh yeah, Slick was Slick mentioned in the chat that um her arm looked broken the last time it did. Slick was here when we watched um ronda rousey amisha tate's fight in strike force and you would have thought that she broke her fucking arm she didn't i mean i believe there was some hyperextension, extension but there was definitely not a break i will tell you though ronda rousey's a maniac and she may take her arm with her this time she may break that shit like frank mir uh broke um minotauro's arm in the cage it's gonna be bananas Oh, shout out to uh, Nick Craig from Radar Gaming who is joining us in the chat. Nice of you to join us, Nick. But um yeah, definitely super pumped for Rousey and Tate, pumped for the all for the ultimate fighter season, because it's gonna be crazy. And not only that, but it's not that far away. It actually starts next month, I believe September fourth. Let me look at my calendar. Yeah, September fourth is gonna be the um is gonna be the date for that. Ah yes, the Tim Sylvia armbreak. Thank you, Mortis. Frank Mayer. Frank Mir is a problem with that when he broke the Tim Sylvia arm break was nasty as well, but the 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 Minotaro one was gross and and ridiculous because he broke it and the arm just flopped around like a dead fish, and it was it was just crazy because the camera just looked at it just focused on Minotaro's arm and you could just see it was just like holy shit that arm is broke, <laughs> oh slick leave poor Frank Mirror alone. Anyway, last bit of MMA news. Um, John Jones was uh, discussing the potential move to heavyweight, and he said that he's definitely um, entertaining it. Of course, he wants to uh, get that fight with Glover Teixeira out of the way, and he is contemplating the jump to heavyweight. I mean, Dana White said it himself. He says if he gets to the point in his career where he wants to move to heavyweight, I mean, he could. He can move up and he Dana White went on to say I've been waiting for Anderson Silva to move up to 205 but he never wanted to do it. I'd like to see it. Seriously, I if John Jones moves up to heavyweight and Anderson moves up to 205 and wins the belt to 205 it would be ridiculous. It would be a fucking problem. I will say I will say this though. John Jones making that jump to heavyweight, he better put some meat on those legs because if he starts checking heavyweight leg kicks, he's going to get his leg broke. It's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but John Jones at heavyweight is definitely a fight, you know, a super fight with him and Kane. I wouldn't mind seeing that. That's for sure. All right, so that's going to conclude MMA for this week. We are going to get into some wrestling, and of course, it wouldn't be time for wrestling without everyone's favorite five-time, five-time, five-time WCW champion Booker T, taking us right into this segment. We want the gold, sucker, Hulk Hogan. We coming for you, nigga. Yes, sir.
1: We promised you a great main event here tonight. So Look at that, here, Andre! The Giant WrestleMania! Everyone has a price, friends. My God, what this night! Who could survive? Give it hell now! It's not over. Who's
0: watching? All right, so Raw this week was interesting, and and I'll tell you why. Of course, we we got the opening segment with Vince McMahon, Daniel Bryan. And, uh, you know, Brad Maddox and John Cena. And it was, it was an okay segment. A lot of people are saying that this segment and this potential angle with Cena and Brian is leading to the Cena heel turn. We've heard this mentioned a thousand times about Cena turning heel. And I'm going to be quite honest in saying this. Cena turning heel cannot be forecasted. You can't dictate when it's going to happen. The Cena heel turn is going to be on par with the Hogan heel turn. It's going to be so sudden and so out of nowhere that it's just going to blow people's minds. It's not going to be some shit where, you know, oh, you know, Cena's turning heel next week. Nope. It's going to be something where he's going to win a match and then he's just going to take the guy and throw him off a bridge or some shit. Like, it's going to be something ridiculous. And quite honestly, if you're going to turn Cena heel you need to turn him heel in a way that not only helps the other person get over as a face but he has to do something so dastardly so insane that that it would just it would really put him over the top like he has to go and he has to injure like a top face and then he has to take like a little kid's sign and tear it up and throw it at him or some shit like it's got to be something on par with that because just a bullshit heel turn is going to be stupid Cena's heel turn needs to be epic. It needs to be legendary for it to really have any value or any substance. So all all these, you know, all these guys on, on Twitter and in the and in the forums, yo man, Cena may be able to turn heel. Uh, no, it's not happening. It's not happening. I mean, Quark says Cena will never turn heel. See, I would I can't say that because the same could have been said with Hulk Hogan back then that Hogan would never turn heel. But like I like I'm saying, the 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 value of turning Cena heel can only come at the expense of, of creating an epic face. You know? It 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 exactly. Slick Slick says in the chat Consider the way Cena lives off of both cheers and booze. It will be an unexpected turn. It's true. Like a lot of, and it's funny because you really want him to turn heel just because you think that that's going to refresh his character, you know. Now, you know, Quark, Quark makes a valid point. Also, Quark says it's a different era. Make a wish, etc. Just won't happen in this digital day and age. But you also got to look at the fact that even with Make-A-Wish and all that stuff, Antonio Cesaro's granting wishes, he's a heel, Sheamus was granting wishes when he was a heel also, Randy Orton's granted wishes, you know, weeks after he punted Stephanie McMahon in the fucking head, the fact, the fact is, you know, in order for Cena to become a quote-unquote heel, I don't even think Cena needs a full-on heel turn, I've always said, if you turn Cena from cookie-cutter Hulk Hogan into Brubaker John Cena, then that that's different because you want to create a polarizing individual. You want to create a guy who 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 you know tap dances on that gray line of face and heel. Honestly, I'd rather a gray John Cena than a glorified heel John Cena because it's gonna run its course. And I and I say this because Cena's promo work. It's just it's very academic. It's very paint by numbers. And and there's no better barometer of that than when he was feuding with The Rock. Think about when he feuded with The Rock and The Rock would ether him on the mic, and the Rock was using shit from nineteen ninety-eight. The reason that happens is because it it's a different it's a different set of circumstances in regards to that feud. The Rock took Exactly what he was in 1998 and applied it now. Yeah, it, it was a little outdated, but next to John Cena, the only time Cena looked good in that feud was probably leading up to their second WrestleMania match. When he did that one promo, I believe it was the Monday before, where he was aggressive and he really was was in the zone. I mean, him shit-talking The Rock with, you know, prior to their first match was good, but... It's it's gonna be something where, when you turn him, you don't need to turn them completely. Doesn't need to be complete. You can do a partial turn. The shit that gets me is that people really wanna wanna forecast when this is gonna happen. The like I said, you can't turn him heel until you have a bona fide face to carry the company. And I'm not talking about you know, Alberto Del Rio face turn or some shit. You want a guy who you can rest the entire company on his shoulders and he has mainstream appeal. And that's the guy that will be the anti-Cena when Cena turns heel. Simple as that. Right now, there's no guy. There's no guy right now on that roster that can carry that company the way John Cena does simple as that slick says if he didn't turn heel after the shit he went through last year it's not happening anytime soon that's also a valid point the way i see it see mortis mortis says that cm punk can carry the company let me let me explain why i i partially disagree with that statement while cm punk as a role model is a tremendous individual you know regarding his straight edge lifestyle and and things of that nature, you have to look at it as he is not the ideal face of the company. You know, he's tattooed and all that stuff. When I'm talking about the face of a company, you want a wholesome Americana type of an individual. That's what you want. You want that that wholesome kind of a guy out there. And John Cena, for love him or hate him, he embodies that. He is white bread. You know? He is, he, is, he is the uh, the epitome of the perfect superhero. He is that guy. If you look at Bret Hart, look at Bret Hart. Bret Hart wasn't tattooed. He wasn't. He was a regular guy. You know, that that was it. Regular guy. That's how it works. You look at The Rock. Yeah, The Rock had his little tattoos and stuff, but The Rock was able to carry the company strictly, strictly on personality alone because you know the rocks wrestling is fucking suspect we all know that it's, his wrestling is good it's not great same thing applies with stone cold steve austin stone cold steve austin carried the company on personality but he was also a great wrestler you know you have to look at it like as much as i would love cm punk to be the face of the company it just can't happen and it won't happen because he's not a WWE creation. For as much as Vince McMahon wants to try and make him, make him such, it's not the case. CM Punk was CM Punk long before he walked through WWE's door. Same thing with Daniel Bryan. Yeah, you can make him grow the beard and the yes Chance and all that shit. But the American Dragon was the American Dragon long before the yes Chance. That, that, that's that's how it is. And that's the problem. Guys that aren't manufactured by WWE will have a slim chance of carrying the company. Slim. Think of all the guys that have quote-unquote carried the company. The Rock, John Cena, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H. Yeah, Stone Cold was made in ECW and WCW, but the whole Austin 316 and all that was made in WWE. That was a WWE creation at that point. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, stunning Steve Austin and Stone Cold and, you know, Steve Austin and ECW. Of course, the argument is made that he wasn't WWE made from that standpoint. But catchphrases, smoking skull t-shirts, all that shit, all WWE, all day. And that's what's going to happen. If anybody's probably going to carry that company... That I would probably say would have been the guy. Would have been Randy Orton. But you know. His necessity to smoke weed. And shit in divas fucking bags. Hasn't exactly helped his case. Another guy who could have carried the company. Is Rey Mysterio. But the guy's fucking knees are made out of Elmer's glue. I expect Rey Mysterio to walk out. And as soon as he walks out on the ramp. To get injured. Immediately. You know. You know. Yeah, but see, Mortis is saying that in, in, in the terms I just stated, Daniel Bryan is WWE made then, before he was the American Dragon and Bryan Danielson. No, that he's you're right in that regard. But what I'm saying is the fan base, the guy came in already established. He didn't need to get built up. He didn't need some stupid angle. He didn't need the fucking Nexus to be over. Think about it. Think about Daniel Bryan when he was on NXT. People knew who he was, on NXT before he walked through the they're like oh promising rookie Daniel Bryan is being mentored by the miz are you are you serious that's like that's like Justin Bieber mentoring Denzel Washington for a movie role same shit Daniel Daniel Bryan is is a is a veteran and he took a shitty situation and he ran with it it's true thank you mortis for for Stating that exact same thing is true. He took that situation and he ran with it. Will he be the guy to fucking run this company and be the guy that you'll see on every t-shirt and on every poster? If Vince McMahon has his way, nope. Triple H is a different story. Triple H is looking at it from the business standpoint. As much as I shit on Triple H for burying guys, he is looking at the company from the standpoint of you need guys that are wrestlers, entertainers, and durable. We are well past the time of the jacked up Goliaths like Batista and Bobby Lashley and all those guys that have a limited shelf life. You need guys that can entertain, wrestle, and have crossover appeal. And yeah, the quote-unquote small guys, you know, Vince is not a fan. And it's true. Vince McMahon can come out and be like, Daniel Bryan's a tremendous wrestler with the cameras rolling. When the cameras aren't rolling, he'll be like, that little motherfucker's a piece of shit. These are the facts. These are the fucking facts. Vince McMahon wants a, a, a factory to churn out Batista's and fucking Brock Lesnar's and Bobby Lashley's, if he can have a black, white, and brown version of those guys, forget it. That's all it would be. That's it. I need a black Batista. That's how it goes. And it's true, Vince McMahon is fucking out of touch. He is an out-of-touch motherfucker. This is the same guy that automatically takes the guy who's Indian and puts him in a fucking turban. He's that guy. He's the guy that tells the black guy with the afro to wear the afro pick. He's the guy who lets the entrance music for our truth sound like some hip hop from 1996. That's the guy. Don't hinder gender. Thank you. Thank you, Mortis. It's true. Vince McMahon is an out of touch closet racist motherfucker. He is. He is. Anybody that says differently either ha- better have an ear to the ground in the WWE or something. Oh, th- well, closet from the standpoint that he's not fucking blatantly racist, but you get what I'm saying? Look, think about this. I'm going to I'm going to go into racial overcoats. Let's talk about this. Alberto Del Rio Mexican. Every time he wins the belt, he has a Alberto Del Rio Fiesta or Cinco Del Rio. It's like it's like so we're gonna we're gonna just create winning celebrations catered to the fact that he's Hispanic. Yes, the Mexicals. Thank you, Mortis. That's another good one. But think about it, Del Rio won the belt. Fiesta del Rio. Seriously. That's that's what we do. That's what we do. You know, you got you got the primetime players shucking and jiving out there, millions of dollars, millions of dollars. It's like it's like you have fucking uh, Titus O'Neil come out as his uncle or whatever the fuck it was that was like the uh, like the grandfather from the Boondocks. Come on. Here's a good example: Rosa Mendez coming out like an extra from the Fanta commercials. Seriously, yo, her Spanish is terrible, terrible. You hear her talk in Spanish whenever she does those, um... Those promos with the Goya Brothers. As a Hispanic, I'm offended. I'm, I'm offended that, that they even tell her to speak Spanish. Yo, we need you to go out there. No, don't. 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 It's like... Every time she comes out and she cuts a promo with Goya Brother 1 and Goya Brother 2, it's like... <laughs> It's like, yo, stop fucking talking. And Quark, Quark says he loves the primetime players. I love them too. I do. I like I like the primetime players, but you can see the subtle fucking racial undertones in that fucking gimmick. The bedazzled douchebag t-shirts, um, Chaco Cena with the afro pick. The only good thing out of that is Titus O'Neil walking around barking like a fucking dog. <laughs> Percy Pancake Patterson. Thank you, Quark. I could not figure out what the fuck his name was. Oh, no. Do not. Mortis says that they should get rid of Darren Young. Absolutely not. Darren Young, They sh- here's what's going to happen. John Cena is going to get suspended. And Darren Young is going to come out dressed like John Cena. As soon as they hit the music, and it's like... Brrr, he comes out and it's fucking chaco cena with the big obnoxious yellow t-shirt and the hat and saluting and he comes out and he does all the moves and everything cuts promos like john cena i would i would fucking die comes out does the salute it would be ridiculous oh john cena's out he's injured then all of a sudden john cena comes back and it's fucking chaco cena And you know what the best part is? When John Cena comes back from the alleged suspension, Chaco Cena would be like, Yo, man, why you copying my gimmick? (laughs) Alright, too much monster energy for me. Anyway, let's get into the rest of this Raw recap. So the first match of the night was The Shield taking on Mark Henry and The Usos in the quickest face turn ever. And of course, it should be academic that The Shield would go over, which they did. The match was very good, super solid. Roman Reigns, as usual murder, death, kill with the spear, and um, it was it was it was solid. It was a solid match. Uh, Mark Henry loses his mind, tries to kill the Shield. It is what it is. RVD took on Fandango in a match that was pretty much a uh, a bullshit match with Fandango walking it off. It was it was definitely. Uh, there's potential there. There's definitely potential in a match with those guys, but it was definitely rough uh, at the start. I think just because Rob Van Dam's offense is not something that a lot of wrestlers can adapt to right away. And, you know, he's, he's never worked with a fan dingle. So it is what it is. AJ Lee took on Caitlin in a match that was completely sloppy as fuck. I don't understand how they can have one good match and every match since has just been Shit. It's like it's like yo, you guys are putting on shitty fucking matches. I I don't understand. I really don't. Dolph Ziggler took on Biggie Langston in a match that was a lot less. I don't know. It just wasn't as impressive as I would have thought. I mean, Ziggler went in there bumping like a champion, making Biggie Langston look good, taking the win via DQ. It was okay, but. Considering how how solid Big E Langston is in the ring, especially if you've seen his NXT work, and how well Dolph Ziggler makes a lot of his opponents look, the match just seemed extremely disjointed, but I'm sure it's going to improve as things move on. Christian and Del Rio was solid. Obviously, this is leading to a Christian title opportunity, which is great. I think if anybody on SmackDown deserves another run with the belt, it's Christian. Extremely underutilized. Um but uh you know it's it's good. It, it, the thing that gets me with that match was that there was surprisingly good chemistry which is to say that Del Rio actually looked at home in there with Christian. I think this goes with the whole thing that Christian has adapted his style to work with a lot of different superstars and he's this is the same Christian that's worked with guys like Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio. He's able to go in there and make Del Rio look solid. The match was not a u- the usual snooze fest. On the contrary, it was surprisingly competitive and it looked really good, very good. I really like the the spot that they went for with Del Rio going for the Enziguri and uh, Christian turning it into the kill switch. It was it was it was very cool. And then when Del Rio went for the cross arm breaker uh, and Christian used that as the roll up. It was was a really, really nice sequence to set up the victory. And, of course, it sets Christian up as a contender, getting uh, the 1-2-3 on the champ. Definitely solid. Wade Barrett and Cody Rhodes had a pretty academic match as well. Um, You know, with Cody countering the pump-handle slam into the crossroads, um, Cody Rhodes definitely has started to develop his face moveset. Looking really good out there. There's definitely some stuff that I really like. That Moonsault was good. Very solid. I was like, holy shit, a Moonsault from Cody Rhodes? Get the fuck out of here. But it, it looked good. It really looked good. Um, super, I think that Cody Rhodes and, and Wade Barrack have some really good matches. I, I definitely think there's the potential for a very, very good feud there. As for the the next match, Kane and Daniel Bryan was, was good. Definitely a little shorter than I would have liked, but a solid, solid match. Of course, Daniel Bryan getting the pinfall. Um, It, it was good. It was definitely good. Uh, the Wyatts come out, cut their, their, their awesome promos as usual. Bray Wyatt hits the Sister Abigail finisher on Kane. Looks good. It definitely looks good. Where they're going with the Wyatts. I, I feel that uh, working with Kane is going to do all those guys good. And Kane gets himself into a nice solid feud. Meanwhile, this fucking snooze fest of a match, fucking Brie, Bella, and Natalia, you know, two Divas matches, it, it, it must mean that we're pumping out total Diva shenanigans, but it was fucking shit. The fact that the Bellas just sucked the life out of any match that they're in is ridiculous. I don't understand. I understand from a, from a marketing standpoint while you want to build uh, a reality TV show uh, with with these two talentless fucking cows but seriously and that match with Natalia Natalia's an accomplished wrestler accomplished she can go out there and wrestle a wet bag of fucking dog hair and make it look good and that match with Bree Bella was shit it was complete shit Really? And, and and you distracted Natalia with a with a duck call? What the fuck is that? I'm distracting you with a duck call. Fuck out of here. It's
2: like
0: I'd like to distract you with a fucking hammer to the face. Holy shit was that match terrible. We go from, from a solid Kane and Daniel Bryan to this fucking visual diarrhea of a match. It was it was disgusting how stupid and how shitty it was and what embarrasses me is the fact that even on the stupid reality show they make natalia look shitty i understand the entire show is scripted as fuck i understand it the entire divas reality tv show is scripted as fuck with the exception of the whole cameron brodus clay cameron's boyfriend thing which was legit but the match itself was an embarrassment it was an embarrassment to somebody of Natalia's caliber, who was probably one of the better wrestlers on that roster. You got an entire roster of Playboy fucking centerfolds. That's what you got. You got you got freaking, you know, Daniel Bryan beard comers and John Cena load takers fucking taking up my television time. Get out of here. This is why chicks like Beth Phoenix leave because of shit like that. You're an established wrestler and you got to play second banana to two broads who couldn't cut it in the fucking real world. It's like, holy shit. If you come back on television, learn how to wrestle. It's like, yo, you wrestle Daniel Bryan and John Cena behind closed doors. You don't think you could pick up some shit? That's not the teabag to the chin. Come on. Give me a break stupid shit, man. And look, the the worst part is, anybody that probably listens to this is gonna be like, yo, man, he shits on the Bellas every week. I shit on the Bellas because they don't learn anything. They don't fucking improve. Brie Bella's chin lock look ridiculous. I've I've seen better chin locks. I'd rather see fucking John Cena donkey punch her in the back of the head than see the chin lock that she used in that match. Disgusting. And give me a break. Get it off my television. Curtis Axel and R-Truth was, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was exactly that. It was, yeah. It was CM Punk coming out there and administering an ass whooping on Curtis Axel. That's what that was. Anyway, moving on. We get our tables match with John Cena and Ryback, which was, it was, eh, it was a match we've seen a dozen times and we've seen the spots the same way. All of it. Attitude adjustment into the table, a dozen tables, every it was it was it was very, very hokey. It really was. You know, the ending was nice with Danny Bryan and whatever, but hokey ass fucking match. Because we've seen it a dozen times. I was expecting to see something of, of variety in that match. Unfortunately, it's the same paint by numbers match we've seen from John Cena and Ryback. And now, this is the thing that gets me. Ryback goes out there and has an awesome match with Daniel Bryan. Looks good. Gives people hope that he can carry a match. Then you put him in a match with John Cena, and it's like punch, kick, punch, punch, kick, punch, breathe heavy, attitude adjustment, oh my god, tables broke, the end. Raw, that's what I mean, like Raw was, was it flip-flopped between solid moments and really sub-par ones, which is a shame because with the build up that's going on with, with Daniel Bryan and John Cena, you would expect to see better better caliber of, of Raw. But instead you get a decent Raw. I mean, if you read Quarks Buried, you'll see he he brings up a, a a lot of solid points with some of the shit that went on. And it's true, I mean, there's there were moments when I was watching Raw where I'm like, really, that's what you guys are doing? I understand the necessity to shill. The Total Diva show, I understand that. But you could have given us Naomi and Natalia in a match, and it probably would have been infinitely better than doing a match with one of the fucking Bellas. I really would like to see the quarter the the hourly ratings to see if that match people turned the channel. I'm curious to see if they did because I sure as fuck turned the channel. I was like, "Yeah, I'll just come back when it's when this match is over." That's what I ended up doing because it was that bad. Anyway, let's get into the rest of the wrestling segment for this week. Um, I Actually, we were talking about racist Vince, and a lot of you guys get a laugh out of racist Vince. But I want to share this with you. Um, for those of you that watch wrestling in, in, in the early 90s, you may remember Ahmed Johnson. I'm sure Mortis may remember Ahmed Johnson. I know Slick remembers him as well. Um, Ahmed Johnson did an interview with uh, Inside the Ropes about racism in the WWE, and... And also a very interesting story regarding Pat Patterson. And I want to share this with you guys because I'm curious to see what you guys have to say about this. So they asked him about the allegations about racism in the WWE. And he said, To become the black black champion in history was neat. But there was a dull side to it. I lived in this fantasy land where I thought there was no racism in the world. Then I go to my car and somebody had scratched congratulations nigger on my car. I didn't know who did it, nobody would fess up to it, I never found out who did it, but you know, I thought about it for a while and I asked Vince McMahon a question. I asked him why did it take them until 1996 to have a black champion when there were so many great black wrestlers before me, including guys like Junkyard Dog, why didn't he give them an opportunity to be a champion and wear the belt? He got very upset with me after asking that question. So that ended up being the end of me in the WWF after that. I didn't want anything to do with him. The word I got from Vince Russo, he told me that this was over and all the smoke had cleared and they would have meetings about this. And Vince and the other people said that American audiences weren't ready for a black champion. He went on to say that every time we went to Germany, Kuwait, India, I was the number one draw. Very, very interesting allegations from Ahmed Johnson. Now, again, this goes back to what I was saying about about you know the 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 underlying racism in this business. I, I'm not even shocked that something like this happened back then. You got to think about it. Ahmed Johnson came in, you know, a big black dude. Crowd was super into him. Slammed Yokozuna. You know, pe- people were digging him. Everybody's like, oh shit, this guy's gonna be the man and then all of a sudden he just he just fell into obscurity it's weird that you know somebody actually you know congratulations nigger on his car that's that's some that's some hardcore racist shit but i wouldn't i wouldn't be shocked if it's true i really wouldn't it's like we were talking about a couple of weeks back where i was saying that there has not been one african american wwe champion i'm talking about legit african american don't don't come in the chat room and say, "Well, what about the rock?" The rock is the rock is fucking peanut butter colored. I'm talking about our truth, Mark Henry black. I'm not talking about brown or who colored. I'm talking about charcoal, marked Dabson from night school black, that kind of black. Doesn't happen. Doesn't. And it leads me to believe that there that there's some shit You know, you know, it's true. Mortis makes a good point. Tony Atlas would have been a good WWE champ, Well, WWF champion, but Hulk, think about it. Tony Atlas, Hulk Hogan. Let's think about this. Tony Atlas, Hulk Hogan. That's all. That's all I got to tell you. Tony Atlas, Hulk Hogan, put them on a scale What do you get?
1: Damn it. Put the belt on the guy with the skullet.
0: Seriously. Hey, Vince, what do you think about putting the belt on Tony Atlas? Is he the black guy that likes feet? Absolutely not. Come on. It's not happening. I can imagine Ahmed walking in there like, hey, hey, Vince, you know, um, why am I the only black guy to get a belt? Because you're a big black guy. That's why you're getting the belt. You're big and you're black. Like, I guarantee you, that was Vince's logic. It's like, black, jacked up in black. Fuck it, let's go with it. <laughs> like, 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 that's the kind of logic I can imagine. Anyway, so, Ahmed Johnson shared an interesting story about Pat Patterson. So they asked him, you know, they said, Hey, you know, what do you think about Pat Patterson? He said, not so cool. He He went on to say, he likes guys, you know. I don't have a problem with that. That's cool. But when you start pushing guys based on who has the sexiest ass to you, I have a problem with that. I'm telling you this from a respect point, but I'm going to be honest. He was gay. There's no secret about it. But he did do some things that were unmentionable. He made certain wrestlers do certain things to get pushed in certain positions. That was his thing. He was a bully, a gay bully. The casting couch type thing, but with males, not females. Holy shit. (laughs) That's all I gotta say. Holy shit. The old Pat Patterson push. Uh, You know, (laughs) Quark, I kid you not, that's exactly how it was written. That's exactly how he said it. I'm not even, I'm not even ad-libbing. That's exactly how he said it. Dude, that is some crazy shit. (laughs) The chat room is is going bananas talking about Pat Patterson being a gay bully. I don't know. I mean, look, and and this is, this is weird, but you're, you're, let's look at it from this standpoint. You're, you're Pat Patterson and you know, you have your, your interests, Okay, and you're a new wrestler, you're a big jacked up dude, super jacked, jacked to the gills, but you're getting jobbed out every week. And, you know, Pat Patterson calls you in and he goes, hey, uh, jacked up wrestler, eh? you know, if you if you want to get on the mid card, you know, a little a little oil check, a little waddle doodle, you know, a little huddle a huddle can get you pretty far. If you're a big jacked up dude, you'd be like motherfucker, get out of here. Like fuck exactly to quote Slick, fuck out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's weird because, yeah, you could make those allegations, and don't get me wrong, it's it's no secret that people have talked about Pat Patterson in that way. But as a wrestler, do you re- is getting over that important that you would legitimate you would legitimately give up your dumper? To get a push. That's all I'm saying. That it's it's weird, it's weird that that you know you're you're a, you're a big jacked up dude, and you know it, it's like you say say you get proposition by Pat Patterson for argument's sake. Again, this isn't this isn't me making that allegation. This is me using a scenario before anybody gets their panties in a bunch. Say say the guy propositions you. Hey, man, you know, uh, give a push to get a push. And you're like, uh, nah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, like that's what I'm saying. Like, no. Like, you, you can just as easily make a complaint. Tell a teacher. Show them on the doll where he touched you. Like, like seriously. Like, any dude that legitimately gave up the dumper to get a push that's no longer with the company got played seriously think about it think about those guys that gave it up got the quote unquote push and are lo- no longer with the company what good did what good came out of it other than being in the bathroom <laughs> you know like ace ventura in the fucking shower seriously like that's the that's the thing that gets me like like say that's the case what you know what? What did you get out of the deal? Nothing, because you're not with the company. Like that's what gets me. Like I, I understand, you know, Ahmed Johnson is is making these statements, and again, as far as I'm concerned, they're they're allegations because every there's Ahmed's side, WWE side, and the truth. Maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe he's not. The Pat Patterson thing. There's always been commentary about that you know there's always been commentary there's always been commentary about pat patterson's uh proclivities make of it what you will the same way there's been commentary about michael hayes being a racist same shit but the fact of the matter is that if you're a wrestler and you're and you need and you and you legitimately need to give up the dumper to get over then you clearly can't get over on your own it's fucking insane It's legitimately insane that that happened. Like on some real casting couch shit. And it's true. That's that's a great analogy. Casting couch. You know how many starlets, how many actresses have talked about, you know, getting propositioned on the casting couch to get a role and then walking away and still making it? Same shit applies in wrestling. Same shit applies. You mean to tell me that you had so little belief in your skill set as a professional wrestler that that's what you resorted to to get over? Fuck out of here. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so The Rock is making the news this week for not only, of course, being in Hercules and potentially teasing another WWE run, but he is also in there because he actually is in two of the top 10 highest-grossing films of 2013. G.I. Joe Retaliation in the number 10 spot, making $371 million worldwide, and Fast and Furious 6, which made $712 million. Definitely a nice little accolade for The Rock, and of course, this validates that The Rock doesn't need to wrestle if he doesn't want to. Doesn't. (laughs) Fucking Slick. Slick said the following... And I quote, suck the pudding off my finger or at the bottom you shall linger. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Wow. I would have played the laugh track for that, but just me laughing was (laughs) fucking slick. Sir, you get a gold star this evening. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, so TNA was in the news this week because the Great Muda was at TNA's offices in Nashville meeting with TNA officials and with Jeff Jarrett. The Great Muda, who currently runs Japan's Wrestle 1 promotion, is probably working with TNA for a talent exchange, which would probably benefit both companies. I think that the Japanese wrestlers would benefit from working in front of U.S. audiences and learning a little bit of the U.S. style and the theatrical, but... Who knows? I mean, with all the roster cuts and shit going on in the in TNA, do you really even want to start bringing in new guys and, and potentially put guys that are on your roster currently on the chopping block? I don't know. It's, some, it's something to think about, that's for sure. Fuck. Mortis. Mortis dropping. He's like, nobody watches TNA, though. Damn, Mortis. I watch TNA. The X Division is still good, and their knockouts are still good. Even though they do really shitty booking with everything else, they got they got some high spots. They got a few. It's not that bad. I've seen worse. There definitely have been worse moments, but it is what it is. So, switching from TNA to WWE, I want to talk about the nutshot heard around the world. So, WWE was on tour in South Africa recently, and um, during uh, the end of a match, a fan jumped the guardrail and proceeded to give Randy Orton a nut shot. At which point Randy Orton kicked the guy in the head. And um, yeah, the guy got arrested. So there's, there's video on YouTube. And um, it's funny because there's a couple of different things. Some people are saying it's a work. Some people are saying it's, you know. It's, it's, uh. some people are saying it's a shoot. Now, Digging a little deeper and, and reading a couple of different sites, it seems that the guy who actually attacked Randy Orton is a an independent wrestler in South Africa, um, whose name is Shepo Sakabi. Now, he said, according to the, um, the South African news site, ENCA.com, you can look that up. Sakabi says he quit his job in Johannesburg in order to make it to the show and received a black eye and swollen face after Randy Orton kicked him while he was being yanked from the ring. He was asked why he did it. Sakabi said he planned it in advance, noting, I just don't like Randy Orton. This was an opportunity for me, so I got up there and I made a name for myself. The article says that even though Sakabi wasn't formally charged, he was banned for five years from the resort where the show was being held and thrown out of the resort's hotel where he was saying. Randy Orton, you know, WWE was asked if Randy Orton felt bad about attacking Sakabi and ran and WWE responded with Randy Orton was the victim in this incident and suffered an injured groin. You know, it's 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 weird. It's weird. That and and here's the thing with wrestling you really never know with incidents like this because number 1 the amount of time and the window that was given for the guy to run in there and give him a pitch perfect wrestling nut shot like seriously if you if if I'm a guy that hops the guardrail and I'm going to give a nut shot I'm kicking somebody right between the fucking goalpost that's how that is I'm not going to do a textbook wrestling nut shot like seriously like that's that's the thing that gets me. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, like if I'm gonna kick you in the nuts, I am doing a running, fucking Ray Finkel laces out kick right into your ball bag. I'm not gonna take the time to bend down and do the extended arm close fist nut shot. Seriously, it, it, it's 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 weird. It's really weird. And and again, you know, when, when shit like this happens, you never know if it's a work or 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 if it's a shoot. You know, you never know. But considering WWE was putting out the footage and all this stuff, it's 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 suspect. It definitely is suspect. You know? And a lot of and a lot of fans that were there were saying, you know, um the fan was a local wrestler that wrestles under the name Blacksmith. So, it's it's very very weird. Very weird. As as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I'm going to leave it with a big question mark because, like I said, if you're going to kick on uh, somebody in the fucking balls, you're just going to kick them in the balls. You're not going to set up. You're not going to uh, let me get into the position for the nut shot. You're just going to deliver the nut shot and run away. Simple as that. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It is completely ridiculous. But... Who knows? It may it may turn out that this guy's a that this guy gets signed to feud with Randy Orton or some shit. <laughs> Who knows? It's 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 weird. It really is weird. Anyway, Mortis mentioned this earlier that there have been a lot of uh, video vignettes from TNA regarding something that's going down August first. Um, the vignettes are pointing to Tito Ortiz debuting in TNA. Of course, Tito Ortiz has been in TNA before as an enforcer during a match with Jeff Jarrett a couple of years back. Um, it's it's probably just part of the whole Bellator thing. I mean, if Rampage is part of the main event mafia, make Tito part of Aces and Eights or some shit. Otherwise, who cares? Tito Ortiz's fucking mic work is shit. You know? Really, Quark? Thank you. Vignettes, vignettes, The. I'm not even going to say what I'm going to say because it's just not going to work. But um, thank you, Quark, for taking the, the time to correct my pronunciation of vignettes or vignettes or fucking video packages. Who gives a shit? Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to do that. Anyway, Tito Ortiz and TNA, nobody gives a shit. I really don't. Like I said, put him in aces and eights as an answer to Rampage. Otherwise, move the fuck on. Speaking of aces and eights, I'm tired of them, motherfuckers too. Other than Bully Ray, who is awesome, the rest of them you you could probably release all those fucking guys and no one would care. I'm serious. Maybe Wes Briscoe, because he, he might have some potential. That's it. That's that's how I see it. I mean, Bully Ray, Bully Ray works. Devon is questionable. Um, West Briscoe's okay. You know, it's eh. really Mortis. You don't like bully Ray. It's weird. Bully Ray, I think is probably at his best right now. He's, he's channeling a little bit of his ECW Dudley boys gimmick. Um, and, and it's good. I mean, the crowd responds to it, but like Garrett Bischoff and, and those fucking guys, they just take up space. Like, even Mr. Anderson, who, you know, is, is, is pretty entertaining. He just looks so out of fucking place in Aces and Eights. Like, Mr. Anderson, as a heel by himself, is fine. He just looks weird with the group, with the stupid vest, and it's saying, asshole. I'm like, uh, get out of here. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Mortis in the chat says he never liked Bully Ray. He didn't even like him with the Dudleys in ECW or WWE. Damn. Bully Ray, I, the only time I didn't like him was his face run in WWE when they were trying to do the solo run with him by himself. And then they made um, D-Von, Reverend Devon with Deacon Batista. Ugh, fucking douche chill theater. Anyway, last bit of wrestling news, which is going to be a perfect lead-in to uh, the gaming news. Goldberg was asked on Twitter about being included in WWE 2K14. And he responded with, careful what you ask for. Which, not for nothing, I wouldn't even be surprised, because if you got the Ultimate Warrior in there, you could fucking get Goldberg in there, easy. Speaking of which, if you want the Phenom edition of WWE 2K14, where you can get American Badass Undertaker, um, they're actually releasing a special edition. Um, You can get a tin coffin box... You're also going to get a collectible art card autographed by The Undertaker, the American Badass skin. You're also going to get an exclusive Undertaker-themed controller skin. You're also going to get Disc 1 of the Streak from the Undertaker DVD and Blu-ray, plus, of course, the pre-order for The Ultimate Warrior and the game. So there you go. If you want the Phenom edition, you can go and pre-order that as well. I mean, American Badass Undertaker, other than The Last Ride finisher... I mean, it's cool, but you're creating an entire pre-order based off just The Undertaker. It's, it's like, all right. You know, the coffin box is kind of cool. And, and the autograph card is, is all right. But, like, using the American Badass character as a uh, quote-unquote giveaway, it doesn't make sense. The coffin box is cool. Like, you could have just done that. Like, the American Badass, you're not, eh. The controller skin, negligible. If you would have included the entire streak set in there, then that, that kind of would have been cool. <laughs> Mortis says the coffin box is good enough for me. You know what's funny? And Slick and, and Quark and myself have discussed this numerous times. That box set will probably be like 150 bucks, And then you're going to wait like three months and you'll be able to buy that shit for 60 bucks. I was in a Target uh, two weeks ago. And I was there on my lunch break, and they had the Assassin's Creed Three uh, collectible box set with the Connor statue, and it was on sale clearance for sixty bucks. And I'm like, damn, I should buy it. So I said, all right, when I come, when I get out of work, I'll go and pick it up. That shit was gone at sixty bucks. That's what I'm saying. Like this pre-order shit, it's cool, but when you drop eighty or a hundred bucks on this shit, and then you see that you see it six months later for close to what retail prices for the game by itself. It's incredibly disheartening. I mean, if if you're a hardcore fan, I can see like in Mortis's case, he wants the coffin box and that's that's great. It's cool and all, but you're really going to pay that big ass premium for it for a box. You could probably look on eBay and find the box by itself for like for like fucking 20 bucks a week later, but to each his own. It is what it is. Anyway, That's going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. And we're going to get into some video games. Let's get the ball rolling, shall we?
1: All
0: right. So opening up the gaming segment for this week, I can talk about, you know, PlayStation three, PlayStation four, Xbox one, 360, Wii U, Wii U, Wii U. But, I actually want to talk about the Ouya. And the reason I want to talk about the Ouya is because it dropped a couple of weeks back for 100 bucks in GameStop, and um, a couple of people have been picking it up. I think uh, Michael Manor from the T4 show picked up a unit, and I was on the fence about picking it up, just because little Android console, play a couple of games, maybe you could do some homebrew, have some fun with it, but I realized that the allure of playing those games on my television just isn't worth the hundred dollar investment. On the contrary, I could probably pick up the Chrome, the Chromecast dongle for thirty five bucks from Google and get more enjoyment out of that than the Ouya. But a couple of people did pick it up, and the crazy thing is that you know Julie Ehrman was interviewed by The Verge, and she said that 27 percent of Ouya owners have bought a game. And that 13 of the top 20 games on the console have earned an 8% conversion rate. So basically what's been happening is that people are buying the console and not picking up games. They're just playing, you know, free shit. That's what they're doing. They're not really dropping money on playing games that are native to the console. And it's and it's weird because you're getting a console that's 100 bucks, and... The way I look at it, the Ouya is, you know, it's a distraction. That's that's how I'm saying. It's a distraction. Not to say that it's not a viable system, but it's a distraction in the sense that it's never going to gain a foothold on par with the big systems, but it's a welcome distraction if you want to maybe play some Android games or maybe you want to do some homebrew or some emulation. It has its place, but seriously, it doesn't... Like I said, I contemplated buying it, but I'm like, do I really want to spend $100 and take up an HDMI slot to play, what, Android games? I play them on my phone, and I use a Note 2, which is a fairly decent-sized phone, so it really it really doesn't matter to me, and not for nothing, gaming on a mobile device is always what I like to call bathroom gaming. You play, you play the bulk of those games when you're in the toilet, or you're on mass transit. I really don't think anybody, well, yeah... Let me correct myself. I was going to say, I don't think anybody's going to be sitting on their couch playing mobile games, and then I thought of fucking Candy Crush, which countless motherfuckers play on their couch or on their iPad. I saw a lady playing it on her iPad in Starbucks this afternoon, and she was super into it. She had her iPad, and she had her, her caramel macchiato, super-sized, and that shit had a puddle on the table because she was so into the game that she the Frappuccino melted like, whatever the fuck, whatever frozen drink it was, caramel macchiato's a hot drink. Um, whatever frozen frappuccino it was, that shit was, was a puddle of condensation, because she was so into Candy Crush, so I, I retract my statement. But, the Ouya console, I think that the problem is, it's, it really didn't have any hardcore first-party developers jumping out and saying, hey, play this game on the Ouya. Like, if they would've said, hey, you could play, I don't know, Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> or, 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 of course, that's a that's a huge extreme. But if you're saying like a game like that, or, or um, what's a what's a good old school game that that's that's past its shelf life? Or original? No, nah, I can't even use that. I was gonna say original Mario Brothers, not Super Mario Brothers, but like original shit like the original Mario Brothers where you would jump through the pipes and step on the turtles and try and kill everybody that one not the the regular one that we've played but that's what i'm saying like you you're better off playing games on a handheld or on a PSP or even a 3DS which is cheaper and the library's bigger than you know this $100 console which again it it sh- it shows potential but i just look at it as a uh, as a side project that's how i see it Capcom and Street Fighter are in the gaming news this week because it looks like we may actually be jumping from a number four to a number five. Yoshinori Ono spoke with Four Gamer, and he said that he doesn't plan on ending the main numbered series at four, saying that Street Fighter Five definitely can happen. He said realistically, developing a console for next gen, uh, a title for next gen consoles requires a huge amount of staff and a large sum of money. The issue of money also applies to everyone else as it'll be required to invest in a new console game and arcade stick. He added that a free to free to play street fighter could be an option saying that, you know, if you look at fighting games as a competitive sport, one might say the more players, the better going free to play lowers the hurdle of needing money to start. So you never know. We may see a free to play street fighter, but the concept of street fighter five definitely is out there. So there you have it, folks. We're not ending it at Street Fighter 4. Anyway, we were talking about pre-order editions in the wrestling segment with the uh, WWE 2K14 bundle, but that's not the only game that's putting out a crazy expensive bundle. The other game is, of course, Saints Row 4. Um, Game Informer reports that this edition is going to be dubbed Emperor Zinyak's Game of the Generation Edition. It's going to be limited to 5,000 copies. It's going to include a 12-inch dubstep gun replica, a Johnny Gap memorial statue, an individually numbered plaque, and a velvet pouch, and all the items in the super dangerous Wub Wub edition. The game will include all pre-order bonuses from the Commander-in-Chief edition, including the Screaming Eagle rocket launcher, and the Uncle Sam uniform, and of course the Murica weapon. The Deluxe Edition will run you $130. Of course, Saints Row the 4th, or Saints Row 4. Well, I guess Saints Row 4, not Saints Row the 4th. Saints Row 4 drops August 20th for the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and the PC. Again, if you want that deluxe edition, it is going to run you $130. Wow, Quark actually hates the fact that that's just $130. Bucks. I am shocked. Wow. Quark, if, answer me this, since I know you're in the chat. If you wanted to buy this edition, how much would you be willing to pay for it? That's not hundred and thirty bucks. I'm curious to see well, any of you guys could answer that with the with the stuff I just described, including the twelve inch dubstep gun replica, how much would you be willing to pay for that box set? Clearly, hundred and thirty dollars is a fuck you price all right hundred bucks hundred bucks is okay. I could see that. It would not have to be a saints be saints row for me to pay any money. <laughs> Get out of here, Mortis. 129.95 asshole. <laughs> but it is true, Best Buy will sell it in 6 months for 60 bucks. You know what's funny? Best Buy actually has the Saints Row the with the headphones. I saw it 2 weeks ago and it was 39.99. In the in the um, I be- well, obviously results are going to vary based on location but it was thirty nine ninety nine with the headphones at my at my Best Buy in, in New York City here in, in Long Island so it, who knows but um yeah only 5,000 copies it'll be gone but you know what's funny and Slick makes a, an interesting point yeah it's 5,000 copies but is everybody gonna legit buy that shit I don't know Quark makes a good point. Duke Nukem Special Edition. I got it for 20 bucks. Original retail, 130 <laughs> uh, Who knows? Anyway, if you're using Xbox Live Gold, you're going to get some cool free games. Obviously, Crackdown will be the first free game. If you are an Xbox Live subscriber, Gold program, you'll be able to pick that up today for free. On August 15th, well, August 16th, sorry, you'll be able to pick up Dead Rising 2 and Dead Rising 2 Case Zero. Both of those will be free. So there you have it, uh, the Games for Gold program. If you are looking to download Assassin's Creed 2, you are shit out of luck. But, like I said, you could download Crackdown for free starting August 1st until August 15th. Then from August 16th until the end of the month, you'll be able to bag Dead Rising 2 and Dead Rising 2 Case Zero. Yes, Slick, it crack cracked down the first one. <laughs> oh, shit. I gotta agree with Quark. Why are people going hype over free games? Games so old that I didn't even hit puberty when they were released. Fuck. <laughs> alright, alright, Quark, I give- I'll give you that line. Anyway, again... Me, I'd probably pick up Dead Rising 2. It's free. Fuck it. Because I never bothered to pick it up. And I think it's in my Gamefly queue. So maybe I'll pick that up for shits and giggles. Um, as for Crackdown, I played it. I beat it. I, I beat Crackdown 2. It was fun. But, you know, Quark said it best. That shit is super old. Like, I can understand Dead Rising 2. But, yo, Crackdown, super old. <laughs> fuck out of here. Anyway. So let's talk about the Wii U, which, um, did sales numbers just, uh, yeah, it's, it's sales numbers. I think, um, the way I see it, the way that the sales numbers are for the Wii U, I wouldn't even, (sighs) I think it's, it's, it's a sad, it's a sad thing to say.
2: That's what it gets.
0: That's what it gets. That's the, that's what it is. Sound the warning alert, because here's the, here's the thing that gets me. The Wii U had a tremendous, tremendous push behind it, especially with the whole, you know, the screen controller and all this shit, but he, you, you guys are in for some crazy, crazy numbers. VG Video Game 24-7 reports that the Wii U sold only 160,000 units worldwide in the first quarter of the year. They're in Nintendo's first quarter financial report. 160,000 units. The sales include the three-month period that ended on June 30th. Software sales are 1 million. Only 10,000 Wii U consoles were sold in Europe... Which means that between 60 and 90,000 were sold in North America and Japan. It is insane. The Nintendo 3DS sold 1.4 million units during the same period. And software sales reached 11 million. The highest selling 3DS game was Animal Crossing New Leaf. Which sold 1 million units. And in total sales has already had 5.4 million units since launch. Luigi's Mansion: Dark Moon was the second biggest seller, with 1.4 million sales. The company reported a net sales volume of 81.5 billion yen. That's 547.5 million dollars, or uh, you know, which is a, a decrease of 3.8 percent from last year. Nintendo's gross profits of 36.4 billion yen, which amounts to 37, uh, 372.8 million dollars, is also a drop. From the previous year. Now Nintendo's currently forecasting. Net sales of 9.4 billion dollars. With, with a net income of 563 million dollars. For the entire year. It's, it's ridiculous. The Wii U is, is struggling. Struggling. It's crazy that from April 1st to June 30th. The Wii U sold 160,000 units. Andrew, the call-in number is 347-324-3541, 347-324-3541. Now, here's the thing that gets me, and, and, it, and it saddens me because it does. When you look at the, at the Wii U, you gotta ask yourself, hey, Nintendo's putting out this system with this innovative controller, we're gonna get all these great games, blah, 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 and that's not what happened. It's the same thing we've talked about. Quark has talked about it in his in his articles. Slick has talked about it on air. I've mentioned it at length. You're putting out this system. Where are the fucking games? Where are they? Oh yeah, that's right. They're not here. And yeah, like like Mortis said, yeah, you know, the the Wii U sales will pick up once Smash Brothers releases. That's great. People are gonna buy it when Smash Brothers comes out. But then what are we going to do wait 6 months for the next game? That's what gets me. What do, how long are we going to wait for the next first party title? It's it's insanity. It's insanity that from April to June they sold less than 200,000 units. It's 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 sickening. It is totally totally sickening. And it's sad because, you know, and Strider Strider embodied it best. We don't need no other games. We got Mario. But see, Mortis, I disagree. Yeah, people are going to be playing Smash Brothers, but how many units can you expect to sell just with Smash Brothers? That's what I'm saying. Like, you got 160,000 units, and you move that much product and you expect people to spend that much money with no games? It's insane. That's all I'm saying. It is insane. Like, Smash Brothers. Yeah, people buy GameCubes for Smash Brothers Melee, but I gotta tell you. Really? I, Quark, I. Eh. I don't know, man i i i can't i can't see it being something along the lines where you're gonna move that much you that much product with one game not not to where i look before i bring um andrew on this is what i'm gonna say it is august first i wanna i wanna know and and quark i want you to hold me to this. If Super Smash Brothers comes out on the Wii U and system sales go up to 500,000 units, after that, I will, I will definitely retract my statement. Because as of right now, the Wii U is a fucking paperweight. That's all I'm saying. And I want Quark to hold me to this because he's been writing a lot about Nintendo. If Smash Brothers allows the Wii U to clear 500,000 units, I will come on air and issue an apology to Quark and mortis and say that I was wrong. One hundred percent. Anyway, let me bring Andrew on and see what he's gotta add. A Z, what's up?
1: What's going on, brother?
0: Not too much. What's going on, dude? What do you got for me?
1: Yeah, you know, looking. Uh there's only one guy that can save the Nintendo Wii U. Who's that? Tito Ortiz.
0: Oh, Tito Ortiz is gonna save everything. He's gonna save TNA. He's
1: saving TNA. Bellator. He
0: should save the Wii U. They should put his head on the side of the system. A
1: dedicated Tito Ortiz game. It's like it's like the old Donkey Kong. Yes, I saved Jenna Jameson. A whole thing.
0: Hey, I think that would work. Tito Ortiz would he would at every castle he gets to, there would be a Dana White in a toad costume telling him that that bitch is in here. You got to go to another castle.
1: Yeah, instead of fighting Bowser, he's fighting like old has-beens of the UFC, Don, you know, or, or MMA. He could fight Don Fry, you could fight, you know, Dan Severin.
0: Hey, I'd buy Frank it.
1: Shamrock.
0: It's 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 sad, dude. That that you're, you know, from a from a wrestling standpoint, Tito Ortiz is this is your is your savior.
1: <laughs> it's depressing. It's really really depressing. I don't know if you, you spoke about it yet. I've been. Um, I've been assembling furniture all night and having a couple glasses of wine, and I turned on GFQ. I'm like, wow, well, this is great. We have late-night programming on GFQ. All we need is a conspiracy theory show to follow yours.
0: Hey, that could happen. We need a conspiracy theory show. I think we can get somebody on board to do it.
1: Listen, Art Bell's coming back, so we need someone for GFQ now.
0: Hey, Art Bell is a, was was a twisted fucking guy, dude. I used to listen. My mom used to listen to have him on the radio late-night and he was a trippy guy. If you get him on there, that'd be fantastic, a, a la Joe Rogan.
1: He's on, uh, he just signed a deal with Sirius. He's coming back in September, so, um, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, that's what we need. We need, like, a crazy, but we have your rant, so I think that, that, that fulfills the need in that time slot. I mean, you're on to, like, 5 in the morning.
0: No, I'm on till, till 2 usually. <laughs> I'm on till 2. <laughs> you never know. Maybe, maybe I'll expand if it, once, once we go live with video. Maybe I'll have props
1: did you did you guys talk about Tito yet?
0: yeah, we talked about Tito in the wrestling segment you were you're about half an hour late.
1: <laughs> oh, crap, I missed it. It's all good. I missed it.
0: Don't sweat it, brother.
1: It's depressing, but i I mean to kind of go back to the Wii U uh i I got a Wii U and I got it as soon as it came out. I got it for Christmas around that time, and I was really hopeful that it's gonna have you know some of the games the easy games that I could play. I'm not a hardcore gamer anymore and I consider myself more of a casual gamer. I kind of get my fix from stupid things on my iPad. So when the Wii U came out, I was like, you know, Mario's going to be on there. Uh, they'll announce Zelda next. They'll announce another Mega Man. They'll announce Super Smash Brothers and all these games that I kind of wanted, and nothing came through.
0: And that's a depressing I think thing.
1: I could, you know, people blame the console. Like, well, the console and the Japanese mentality with the UI. Fuck that. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that they did not deliver any original titles for this thing nothing
0: well the problem also is the fact that they put out two bundles and they said hey we're gonna put out all these games and that's great like like seeing all the games is is fantastic in terms of oh these are great on paper but when when your four star and five star titles are are in gaps of three to six month spans nobody's gonna give a shit i mean you know, they, they were saying Nintendo six months. I mean,
1: we haven't gotten, we got Mario was, is the, probably the only major title that was announced and and released. Well, I mean, Zelda game,
0: Zelda game. I mean, you know, slick, slick reviewed Lego city undercover, which was pretty good for a third party game. Zombie. U was okay. But again, it's not, it's not the same thing as those flagship titles, you know, a, a Donkey Kong country, shit like that. It, it's not moving units. It's depressing that from August to June, less than 200,000 units sold.
1: Yeah, and you need you need original titles. With a launch like that, every two months or three months, you need an original title to be released. You need Metroid. You need, uh, let's just go down the list. Metroid, Do you have Mario. You release, I, I think they just released the Luigi one, which is actually not bad. I have it. Uh, Mario, you have Metroid, you have Zelda, you have Super Smash Brothers, you have Mario Kart. You, you have these original titles that are sitting on your Nintendo franchise that you could do something with, and they've done nothing.
0: Slick, was, all. slick was saying in the let's chat. Let's not
1: even go into their arcade and their archive of games. I mean, on the on, they they've been slow to release those also.
0: Well, you know what. Th- Slick in the chat said their next big release is allegedly going to be the Wonderful One Hundred One, and that's not due for five months. Five.
1: Yeah, that's disappointing.
0: It's, it's ridiculous. And then you know you got to just revive all, September fifteenth is when that drops.
1: I mean, one thing that I've always wondered why they don't do why they're not doing it. But you have all these phenomenal games that people like you, you know, we're we're in our thirties now. We look back and we're like, you know what? Mo- Mega Man 2, by far, is the best Mega Man that I ever played. Why are they not remastering these games, re-releasing them for $20, and having people just re-buy all these games?
0: I think that's the... I mean, you know, Capcom is doing that with DuckTales from Nintendo. They're remastering the game from the ground up, releasing it on the 360 and on the PS3, and people are pumped to play it. You know, you charge 10 bucks, and it's true. Like, you could take games like that. Like, why doesn't Nintendo... And I, I agree with you. Imagine rebuilding... Um, you know, a Mega Man game or a Metroid from the ground up with HD graphics, and then you know, charging ten or fifteen bucks at least that'll keep things active.
1: Okay, I mean, you you make this console into so, you know, it, it, Nintendo's first of all, Nintendo's not releasing any of their original titles on any of anything. I mean, the rumors have been saying, you know, people have been saying they should be on the iPad, they should be on Android. That's not going to happen. It's not their mentality. Until they die, they're not going to do that. So why not take advantage of the fact that you have 30 years, 25 years of original titles that have an impact on people? I'd I'd love to you play, play, a, play a remastered a Mega Man games. You have all the Mario games. You yep. have all these franchises that they have built for 20 years that they're not doing anything with. It, it's it's disappointing, really.
0: I'd take a remastered Donkey Kong Country. I'd definitely take a remastered F-Zero if you don't even want to put out a new one. Because it's true, shit like that at least will keep the console out there. People will be like, damn, let me pick that up. I mean, sure, it's the continual rehashes that we shit on, but at least it keeps the console out there. And it keeps people from, from whenever they hear the Wii U going, paperweight.
1: I mean it really has become a paperweight. It's sitting in my bedroom uh when I got it, I was excited to play it because I was playing Mario on the handheld thing, and that was it. I was done. I beat the game within two weeks, and I have not turned this thing on ever since
0: yeah i th- I think that nintendo with the with the with the screens and here's the crazy thing too they haven't even discussed. You know how many how many other games are going to utilize the screen? One of the things that's that that's crazy is that the games that are coming out next gen quote unquote games that are going to be coming out are crippled. For for instance, the new Batman game um, is going to come out, and they recently announced multiplayer for it. But when it comes to Nintendo, they're they're omitting the the multiplayer. You're not getting multiplayer on it because the system just can't support yeah. it
1: it's insane it really is and i i'm i fear that this is the last console that they put out
0: well here's here's a question for you with with regards to the new consoles are you going to buy either, either a ps4 or, a, or an xbox one
1: yeah i'm i'm in i'm pre-ordered
0: oh look at both. you look at you yeah
1: a lot of I, I may actually uh i guess i'll it's it's almost 1 o'clock in the morning, so I could say it on your show. I, I will probably have the Xbox a month before it's released.
0: Oh, you lucky bastard. And I know exactly who you can thank for that. You son of yeah. a... You son of a bitch.
1: <laughs> you son of a bitch. No, I... um, I, I'm excited for both. I mean, I'm I'm more of an Xbox guy than a PlayStation guy because of the UI and all the TV stuff, but... It's exciting to see what the next-gen devices are gonna are gonna be doing. And you know what? The reality is, if you haven't gotten it, uh, I would wait because we're not gonna see what these devices are gonna be capable of for a good, you know, six months.
0: Oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come out. They're gonna throw out maybe five or six games to kind of keep people happy. And then and not only that, but they'll probably say that it's in limited supply, in limited supply to increase demand. And you're not gonna see a console that you can walk into a store and buy till at least February or early March.
1: That's how it's going to shape you up. You know, the, the whole console concept is, is kind of, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the age, man. I, I, I feel like I don't, I'm not connected to this thing. Like I can't play call of duty. Okay. Okay like i feel like every time I, I would like play any one of these first person shooters i'm having some like 8 year old call me a fag the entire time
0: oh you know that's that that's just that's just the nature of the online community i think i think the problem with with, with games like that is that you're you're marketing to a different demographic like you you made a valid point in saying hey i'm i, I like the xbox one because of the ui and all the multimedia stuff like gamers, like hardcore gamers could give two shits about that because they want games. That's why a lot of the guys in the chat are talking about pre-ordering and buying a PlayStation 4 for that reason. Because they know that they're getting exactly that, games. I don't
1: know, man. Uh, what are you getting? you getting a PlayStation
0: I pre-ordered I pre-ordered pre-order a PlayStation 4 I mean I'm, I'm probably gonna end up getting both because obviously it's part of the part of the job to have them but the PlayStation 4 is just a little bit more alluring to me just because there's there's more there's more from a gaming standpoint that gets my attention but the worst part is when it's all said and done if, if especially for slick and myself we're gonna need to keep four consoles connected because there's no backwards compatibility not even out of the not even out of the back end because and you know especially for Is PlayStation 4 though,
1: do, you, do you need the backwards compatibility like for me I, I guess maybe because I'm not I'm not a hardcore gamer like I'm like hey, fuck it new console new games that's it
0: well from from the PlayStation side the you know on I have a launch PlayStation 3 I still play PlayStation 2 games hell I still play PlayStation 1 games and it's an, it's just a nice way to keep that library fresh for you to enjoy those games. Now, the problem is both consoles, both newly launched consoles will be getting games that are still going to be released on their older counterparts. So that's the shit that's crazy. You're going to you're going to need to play if you want a game on the 360, you can't pop it into your Xbox 1. You got to keep your 360 to enjoy that game for now. I'd like to say within yeah. 2 years, you could probably, you know, move on and just play only new shit like you're saying. But as long as they keep dual-releasing shit, you're going you're gonna to be kind of pissed off. You're going to be torn as to what you're going to get.
1: And I think they're going to be doing dual-releases for a while because uh, Microsoft's stance on things was, well, we do have a cheaper uh, device that doesn't require you to have an internet connection. It's called the Xbox 360. So I think they're going to be doing the dual-release for a while. Uh, and i would not be surprised if they take the 360 and they make it into you know a uh a, an xbox one light know. i'm going to get in trouble for what i'm saying i'll get in trouble for what i'm saying but I-, I could i could see the xbox becoming uh the 360 becoming a companion device to the xbox one where you get access to the xbox arcade and all the xbox live online games um uh, but you wouldn't be able to play, you know, three sixty uh, Xbox One games, obviously. But you have access to all their archive stuff on online.
0: Ah, I I see what you're saying. Well, I think
1: also, I th- also you get access to you know all the online services like the Netflix and the Hulu. But you would yeah. have it, it's going to be a similar interface.
0: Ah, so what you're saying is they're going to make it almost like the equivalent of what the HD DVD was on the three sixty, or you connect your your three sixty to the one to access all that extra shit.
1: Oh no, you're not. It's 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 based on the network exclusively.
0: It's oh. able to detect
1: that you have a one, and it's going to kind of work off of that.
0: Very very interesting. I see. I see your, your your inside man at Microsoft is keeping you abreast of what's going on.
1: Listen, I I have not gotten this information from him. I've gotten it from other sources. But this, these are plans. I mean, things could change, obviously. But as of right now, that's part of the the entire Xbox Live experience
0: well uh, on the bright on the bright side at least those of us that have both consoles won't won't feel like the other console is fucking useless
1: i mean we're in a we're in a totally different time now than we were in 2006 when you know the conflict came out in 2005 when the conflict came out the concept of netflix and hulu did not exist and i know a lot of the gamers are not happy about you know it's all about the tv nobody cares about the games but They go hand in hand. These devices are intended to be kept on at all times.
0: No, I agree.
1: You know, there's no, you're not, you're not, the concept of I'm going to play a game, I'm going to turn it on and I'm done is out the window. You now keep this device on and it is everything. You can watch your movies on there. You can watch your TV. You can watch, uh, you know, on demand stuff, whatever it is. It's going to be on this device.
0: Well, the problem with that is though, and this is something I've, I've said before, you're running into a, just redundancy. And the reason I say that is think about this, you for, I'll use myself as an example. I have my regular TV, which has all internet, you know, Netflix and all that shit built in. I have Google TV, which has all that shit built in. My Xbox has it built in. My PlayStation three has it built in. By the time you're done, you just want, like, in my case, I just want to play the fucking game. Like, don't get me wrong, the Netflix stuff is cool, and I don't mind watching Netflix on either home system, and that's good if you want to spread it around your house, but the uh, the constant redundancy, it's it, it, it becomes overwhelming. Like, sometimes you just want to play the games. Like, I understand where the PlayStation 4 is coming from, because they're putting the games front and center, and acknowledging the home theater aspect afterwards. Microsoft is trying to reinvent the home console and make it your end all be all, and that's a gift and a curse and I, all its own. I
1: think that's a great idea. For, I mean, I personally think that's a great idea, and I welcome it. And I'll, I'll I'll probably I'll probably be more inclined to play these games if it's always on. You know, think about it. it. It's this no thought behind process. It's this dummy mentality where it's just there. It's happening. It's already on. I mean, I'm just going to hit yes You know, hit yes, and I'm going to grab a controller and start playing. Uh, some of the other things that are missing from this device right now is that, well, how are you going to connect it? You know, it has the, it has the HDMI pass-through, but there's no way to get cable access on this thing or TV access. Yeah. It has already been said that there are manufacturers that are making third-party devices that connect to an antenna. So you're going to be able to get over-the-air programming on your Xbox. You're going to have TV access. You might be able to get cable access within the next year or two on this device. And if that's the case, screw the cable box. You have one device that's on. I think that's amazing.
0: Well, if they if they went that route, and I've heard I've heard rumblings that Time Warner is entertaining that, then from that standpoint, I can see I can see some some relevancy. I mean, and imagine if you're a cable operator and you're charging people ten dollars in equipment fees, and they're they're contemplating jumping shit because you know they're getting beat over the head for equipment fees and channels. And instead, you tell them, hey, if you have your Xbox, just add this dongle, and you're good to go. And that, you know, yeah, you're saving a couple of bucks here or there from from an, from an equipment standpoint. That I can understand. The problem was that Xbox came out of the gate, and they tried to put all the entertainment shit first. And I think that soured a lot of gamers. And then, of course, when E3 came out, they redeemed themselves with a lot of the stuff and a lot of the titles they showed. But... Coming out of the gate, sacrificing. Yeah, no,
1: you're absolutely right. I I think a lot of the gamers were soured based on that, but I also attribute that to the online, you know, rumors and speculation that was floating. Uh, uh, One of the videos, you know, on on What the Tech, when I did it with Paul, one of the episodes went totally viral, and hundreds of thousands of views have, have, over the last, you know, know. couple months, viewers have seen this thing because all the blogs picked it up and all the websites picked it up just on speculation that ended up becoming true. And I think that's been the downfall for the Xbox. A lot of people are speculating, a lot of people are guessing, but we didn't know at that point what it was going to give. The whole always-on thing, it does make sense. Yeah, if you're an online services company and you're providing Netflix and you're providing Hulu, absolutely you need this device to be on to be able to access that content. Yeah, but I think, they didn't. They didn't word it properly. They nope. didn't, you know, give it. They didn't give enough information. That's the Microsoft way. They're awful at that.
0: Well, when you have when you have a guy on Twitter who works for them, basically telling somebody, "Hey, if your internet sucks, move to another state." The system isn't yeah. for you. It, it, it's going to sour people off the bat because it, remember all that negative press they got because that guy pretty much threw them under the bus. Completely and utterly to the point where they had to fire the guy, scramble, spin doctor and clean everything up to the point now where, you know, when they were being, when PlayStation four was being pre-ordered four units to one with the Xbox one, they got scared.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that whole DRM mess, you know, that, that kind of hurt them too. But the fact of the matter is, uh, PlayStation has the exact same DRM policy that Microsoft has it's up to the publisher. So if EA says, you know what, we don't want you to be able to resell this game, we're going to lock this thing down. Guess what? The game is going to be locked down. They're leaving it up to the publisher, not them. They're not making the decision. Yeah, they both that's have a, an, an identical uh, DRM policy. Yeah, but that... for whatever reason, Microsoft, you know, took the brunt of it.
0: Yeah, that DRM shit is gonna is gonna raise a lot of red flags if companies really try to lock shit down. Because what's gonna happen is people are gonna just be like, Oh, well I'll just buy it on the PlayStation Four and play it like that
1: Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know what listen, in the end of the day we're gonna see both. We're gonna I'm sure they're gonna be neck and neck.
0: Oh, I'm excited,
1: uh, dude. I don't I don't I can't imagine Uh, you know what, I'll I'll put money on it. I think at the end of the day, by the end of the holiday season, these two devices are going to be neck and neck. No one's going to have a significant advantage over the other one.
0: All right, fair enough. Yeah. I'll
1: give it to you. All right, I'm going to go. All
0: right, brother, I will catch you. Thanks for calling in, bro. Great job. See ya. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Andrew Zarian, head of the GFQ Network, of course, where... We are currently broadcasting along with Mixler. Make sure to check out the assortment of GFQ shows on the GFQ network, including the T4 show with uh, Michael Manna and Colm. Also, What the Tech with Andrew Zarian and Paul Therott and Matt Men. Their interview with uh, Jake the Snake was fucking phenomenal. So props to those guys. Matt Men also every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern on GFQ. I see that Slick is on the line. Slick is going to join us and share his thoughts as well. Let me bring him on. Slick, what's up? What's up, man? What do you got for me, brother?
2: Um, just add, adding a little bit to what Andrew said. Uh, one thing he said on the whole DRM issue, Sony and, and Microsoft don't have the same policy. Sony started off with a more lenient policy, and yes, they did say that it's ultimately up to the developer what the um d r m is on the disk that you get, but Microsoft originally had it where, as you know, like you know when you buy a game, it doesn't matter what the the publisher says, it's like you buy the game like I could buy a game and give it to you, and that's it. You can't lend it to anybody. And even now, it's it's they got that whole thing where like you gotta log you gotta log on once an hour when you play at someone else's house, and um, I just see a lot of issues popping up with the Xbox One when it comes out. Not so much in the sense of like Red Ring of Death with the 360, and um, but well, the, the whole fact is they started building the console one way. They got a shitload of bad press, and then they backpedaled everything. So it's like they're pulling everything out of the machine now and and redoing it with only a few months to go to launch. That's like saying, you know, this car is going to have 300 horsepower a week before it comes out, and then all no, know, it's not powerful enough to compete with with its main competitor. It's going to have 500 horses. It's like... Where are you getting this new engine from, all
0: of a sudden? No, I, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from. The thing, the thing. The problem for me as as a consumer and even just as a quote-unquote, I, I don't even want to call myself a journalist. I hate using that moniker for myself, but just as a, as a pundit, as an opinionated observer, is the fact that Microsoft came out of the gate leveraging their success on the wrong demographic. I understand you want to create... This home theater dynamic, this big, you know, centerpiece for your system. And that's great. But you got to realize that the big motivator is people dropping $60 on a game. Think about this. Call of Duty is a billion dollar franchise. How do you not want to leverage that first and foremost? Which is fine. I think that, you know, that, that, that works. But I just felt that so much misinformation got out there and so much stuff leaked out without proper explanation, that dude, by the time they came to the party, people did people wrote them off without even hearing what they had to say. So, as, as you know, and to kind of borrow from what Andrew said, listening to the consumer and doing what was right for business saved their ass. Because you and I both know, we talked about this a while back, they were losing pre-orders left and right. Because of this shit.
2: Yeah, and... My thing is, my whole big issue with them still is that they don't listen to the consumer. Because if they really did listen to the consumer, they wouldn't have come out the gate with that shit to start with. Because anybody that plays games can tell you or tell someone at Microsoft they're tired of the bullshit that companies like EA pull where, you know, you buy a game, you got to have like an extra code to play online, or you got to pay extra for this or that. And then, you know, they turn around two months later. And I, I always cite the example of the most recent thing that I can think of of uh, need, to, need to Speed Most Wanted, where basically the game is 70 bucks to get everything. Like a month later, after it comes out, the same thing is 50 Because all of a sudden you started dropping the price. So it's like. You shafted all those people who got the game when it first came out.
0: Yeah, well that's something that's gonna and haunt us forever. You know that.
2: Yeah, but I mean it's the same type of thing. Microsoft is not stupid. They know what the consumer wants. So why'd you even come out the gate and even come with this bullshit that that um you know all all the um the sharing issues that, that people complained about that that even got them the bad press. There was no reason for that in the first place, yeah, well no when... reason behind that. I mean that's their whole deal with e a that's them being in bed with e a bottom line
0: yeah, well, when you got a fucking when you got one of your one of your representatives going on Twitter and telling people, "Hey, man, your internet sucks, move to another fucking state," and that picks up mainstream traction dude they were they were getting shit on before the announcements even were made. You know, because The the, the Verge, um, Gizmodo, uh, Kotaku, they all published that that, that exact, uh, that all those tweets that guy put out, and they were like, you see this shit? Microsoft doesn't even give a fuck about you guys.
2: And even worse than that, there was the whole issue that, you know, people in the military can't have an always-on connection. And their answer to that was, well, you can play the Xbox 360.
0: Yep, well well, you know It's like
2: Microsoft Microsoft did a nice Marie with that they're like, motherfucker eat cake.
0: Well here's 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 the thing and, and you tell me what you think of this. Andrew Andrew said that the, the, the goal is to create, you know, an um an ancillary add on with the three sixty so that you can still enjoy all that stuff with the one. Do you think that that is a vi- that that's a, a a comfortable bandaid to use with gamers. No. Why is that?
2: Because that's like saying, I have this I have this add on for your PC. It's the same size as your tower. <laughs> and I mean, you've seen my tower. Could you imagine an add on that's basically the size of the tower?
0: Uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, the concept itself has, has merit. I just feel that in alienating that aspect of like, think about it. All those, um, nah, it's not an add on. I apologize, Andrew. I misspoke. But what I'm saying is think about this, all the, it's an extension. You got, you have to, you have to take that, that stuff. And that's what I was saying before where think of all the money you just spent on Xbox Live every time they do sales their Xbox Summer of Arcade you have all those games and you can't move them over to Xbox 1 it's like it's 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 a hard pill to swallow because you've spent all that money think about games like like Scott Pilgrim versus the World or um what's another what's another good Xbox Live exclusive Scott Pilgrim um What was the game with the guy running through the levels and you had to put on the costume to become, like, a mech? You know which one I'm talking about. It kind of played like Flashback.
2: Oh, man, it's completely... Somebody in the
0: chat help us out here. Yeah. Ah, see, Andrew broke it down. Not Shadowrun Quark. Um, Fuck, it's... uh... The the guy looked very small. The graphics were pretty good, and you went through the levels, and you got all these different pieces of armor. And as you got the armor, you would uh, fight your way through. It wasn't... Shadow Complex. Yes. Shadow Complex. Now, think about that. A game like that, Shadow Complex was an awesome game. And you can enjoy that, even though you purchased it on your new system. I just feel that you're going to have a home theater shelf full of black boxes. You know what I mean? Because there's yeah. no there's no there's no ability to enjoy that stuff. I mean what Andrew's saying is is right. You know, he's he's saying that, you know, you in your living room you got your Xbox One in your bedroom, you got your three sixty with access to your downloadable games. But I'm trying to, as a gamer, eliminate shit. Not have more shit. You know what I mean? Like in terms of just keeping things streamlined, it, it's 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 killing me. Like having that many black boxes, like like yo Like, for PlayStation 3, I can understand because I got to play PS1 and PS2 games, and until they unleash, you know, the Gaikai system, you know, that stuff is going to be a problem. But on the Xbox
2: side... Go ahead. But I was going to say, that's what I'm saying. He mentioned earlier that um, he likes the idea of the, the whole interactivity... the xbox one is going to have with multimedia and everything and i've said it before that i see all of that is basically useless okay and it's not the fact that me personally i'm not going to use that stuff i mean because that is the case i'm not going to use it the fact is that andrew is and that's great but you take somebody like andrew and myself who probably has relatively new stuff in their household as far as technology. That's right. You have, you know, your cable provider, whether, I mean, we we live in Queens, so it's either going to be Time Warner or Verizon. You know, you have your on-screen guides and everything there. You have probably a brand-new HDTV, which I just got one recently, and guess what it has when you turn on the screen? What? All that shit that the Xbox One claims is going to do, it's got a whole home screen and everything. So if I have an Xbox One connected, my TV's going to have a home screen, and then in that screen is going to be an Xbox home screen. It's like I'm looking in a bunch of mirrors. That's why I say it's pointless, because the stuff that's coming out now, the TVs that we're going to be playing these games or using these consoles on already do that stuff. So it's really redundant. And if you like the stuff that Xbox One is doing, that's fine. I'm not, saying, I'm not telling anybody not to get an Xbox One. I'm just saying it's really fucking useless. Focus on the games. And as far as what you're saying that people want to minimize stuff, yeah, I'd love to get rid of my Xbox 360. I'm, I'm sick of the fact that it's my third 360. I love the fact that the Xbox One would completely replace the 360, but it won't. And, I mean, when the Xbox One comes out, the 360 wouldn't have any place in my home if the Xbox One played those games. The the PS3 would still have a place in my home because regardless of the fact that it plays PS1 and PS2 games, and it's the same console that I bought when the system came out, unlike the 360, I can put that in my bedroom and have a Blu-ray player. The well, 360 has no other purpose other than playing games, really.
0: Well, here's, here's something, and this is what I just said in the chat, you know, because Andrew Andrew was saying, you know, indie dev content, all that stuff, Xbox Live Arcade will reside on your 360. That's great. And it's fine, and that's why I, I wrote in there, you know, you need, you're basically going to have two black boxes. This is, this is, my, this is my layman explanation That bothers me why it couldn't be done. You got Xbox Live. You got this brand new infrastructure, all this stuff with Xbox One. Xbox Live games are non-graphically intensive games. Why couldn't you just log into your new Xbox One console with your gamer tag, and you'd say, here's all the games you've downloaded on Xbox Live Arcade. Would you like to download them to your new system? Yes or no? Or they can be in the cloud, you know, because you're paying for cloud saving. So, why not? Like, like, think about that. That's the only thing that bugs me. Like, like, using the Xbox for media, you know, it's a crazy stat that he said in there. 50% of, of people that own an Xbox only use it for media. Because some people just figure that they can, you know, that $100 deal where you get the Xbox for 100 bucks and then you sign up for for a year of, of Xbox Live and shit like that is going to move units but i'm just talking about all your purchases and all your on all the shit you've invested money on is stuck on another system which can easily migrate be migrated over that's what i don't understand why they can't do it i'm not talking about you know assassin's creed 2 but i'm talking about shadow complex scott pilgrim tmnt um, you know, Turtles the arcade games, X Men the arcade games, The Simpsons games, uh, Fire Pro wrestling with your avatars. Why can't you not download that shit to your new system? That's what frustrates me. Dust, thank you.
2: And if fifty percent of the people that own Xbox only use it for media. A console that you originally brought out to play games, shouldn't you be improving your games?
0: Nah, well that, well that, that's what Nintendo said. Nintendo's like everybody's worried about used games because because these companies are making shit titles. I mean, it's a valid argument, but here's the thing that I say: a lot of a lot of guys that I know do watch a lot of Netflix on Xbox. I'll be like, yo, did you play anything today? Nah, just watched like three seasons of Breaking Bad and two seasons of Dexter. Did you finish that one game you bought? Nah, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, like it, like it's weird, but it, you know, Andrew poses a, a, a crazy, a crazy statistic because think about it. You bought that console to play games and the games have taken a back seat because you're watching HBO go and Hulu and all that shit. And I think that the resurgence of putting the games first is, is going to happen with this generation. And it's true, people are buying the PlayStation 3 for Blu-rays because they're getting a bona fide Blu-ray player. And it's true, you know, that's an acceptable statistic as well. My whole thing is that I just don't like having to rely on a second box to enjoy shit that I purchased that's in the fucking cloud. Like, you mean to tell me with all the juice in that system, I can't play, you know, Shadow Complex... I can't play Magic the Gathering or, you know, that shitty-ass Magic the Gathering game. Come on.
2: Hell, as big as that box is, because that shit is huge, it should be able to play 360 games.
0: Yeah, well, look, I can understand the motivation to to force people to move over because, think about it, the 360 started backwards compatible at Xbox One, and then with each incarnation, less and less games became backwards compatible Till at the end they were just like, yo, fuck out of here.
2: <laughs> well, I'm not even going to go into that because uh, I said that whole, the, the whole reason why shitting back at back was compatible is you know us
0: bottom line and
2: the consumer's fault because they complained with the whole price of the PS3 but I ain't going into that again
0: Bork and Colm are are bummed out that I that I mentioned Magic the Gathering in a negative light I'm just saying I'm not shitting on the game I'm I'm shitting on the fact that it's a uh, it's a you know it's a game that's easily accessible. I guarantee you it's not that big. Let's say it's I don't know a hundred megs. Let's use that as a as an argument. A hundred megs. You mean to tell me that I can't play a game that's a hundred megs on my super powerful rocket propelled Skynet system?
2: <laughs> like that's that's what Andrew, kills me. Careful. Remember that time we went to Wizard World? We accidentally walked in on that magic
0: convention. Oh yeah, the magic convention is serious business, dude. We almost got our asses kicked in there. I would have had to pull. <laughs> I would have pu- had to pull out a Dark Lord Plague card to fucking get out alive. But um seriously, like that's what I'm saying. You mean to tell me I can't take my 100 meg game or my 250 meg game and play it on my system? That is the equivalent of fucking Skynet. I need another box for that. Fuck out of here. <laughs> That's my only gripe, dude, in terms of let me tell you something. As a consumer, the, the, the game, the gaming, the console wars of 2013 and on will benefit us. Because you're going to you're going to you're going to get the best games, the most graphically intensive games, because you're getting cutting edge, bleeding edge hardware. It, we're going to benefit from this hands down. My only gripe is that, that I can't play my shitty 100 meg game created in a basement by a kid that was bored one day on my brand new $500 system.
2: Basically,
0: That's the shit that gets me. Like, yo, here's why you're fi- It's the equivalent of buying a, a, a big $500 blender that can't crush ice. Seriously. Soundwave
2: said it best. Soundwave said it best. PS4 superior, Xbox <laughs> One inferior.
0: There you go. All right. Anything else to add, my friend?
2: Nah, I'm good, man.
0: All right, bro. I'll talk to you later. All right, peace. 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 All right, guys, just a uh, time check. It is 1 20 Eastern standard time. The blog talk radio feed will cut off at 2 a.m. Eastern standard time, but you can continue listening live at MTRLive.com, GFQ's website as well. Uh, uh, GFQ live.tv. And you can also listen via Mixler at 2 a.m. All right. That actually is going to wrap up our gaming segment. Let's get into this week's entertainment news. We got some what the fuck movie news and a ton of other stuff. Let's get that ball rolling. Shall we? Let's get the ball rolling with this week's entertainment news. First up, a bit of what-the-fuck movie news to get the ball rolling. Let's talk about a movie that nobody has given a fuck about since 2004. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Butterfly Effect. You guys know that wonderful science fiction movie with Ashton Kutcher and Amy Smart? Oh yeah, that one. Well, guess what? That movie's getting the remake treatment. I kid you not. The movie had a $13 million budget. It made $96 million worldwide. Eric Bress, who co-wrote and directed the 2004 film, is writing a new film. A new, well, a new interpretation of The Butterfly Effect. As of right now, there's been no director attached. But, it is going down. So there you go. The Butterfly Effect. Ah, yes, thank you, Mortis. The Butterfly Effect did have a shitty sequel in 2006. I totally forgot about that. Damn, Mortis, you are on point, because I totally missed that. Anyway, while we are on the subject of shitty movies, let's talk about Sharknado, which is Oscar gold all its own. If you are interested in getting the big screen experience with Sharknado, it will be released in theaters. Midnight showings of Sharknado will be going down on August 2nd. So there you go. You can go to Regal Entertainment's website and you can see Sharknado on the big screen. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you. That was tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Slick. My fault. So there you have it. Sharknado was being showed on the big screen. Ugh. You know, listen, you know that we as a society are damned. When a movie with the the graphic, put it like this, Gumby Cartoons had better graphics. When a movie that shitty is getting the big screen treatment, it's, (laughs) oh, we are fucking damned. We really are damned. (laughs) Ah, Slick doing a little Samuel L. Jackson. Anyway, yeah, Sharknado in theaters. Good luck with that, guys. Anyway. We all know that it's a no-brainer that G.I. Joe is getting a third installment, but what about that Masters of the Universe movie that John Chu was working on? Well, he actually shed some light on that and on the third G.I. Joe film, stating, with regards to Masters of the Universe, he will. You, we will probably get a third G.I. Joe movie before we get the Masters of the Universe film. So there you go. For those of you that thought that Masters of the Universe was in development hell, it is not. It's still going to go down, but we may be seeing it after John Chu finishes a third G.I. Joe film. So there you have it. In some small screen news, it looks like capitalizing on the success of Under the Dome, we're going to be getting some miniseries based on Rosemary's Baby and Stephen King's The Tommyknockers. So there you have it. Originally the Tommy Knockers was a miniseries in nineteen ninety three, but it looks like NBC will be trying to compete with CBS's Under the Dome and releasing those two movies as miniseries, Rosemary's Baby and Stephen King's The Tommy Knockers. There you have it. I don't know. I really don't know if that's gonna work, only because Under the Dome was one of the, is one of those shows that it just it just created a following uh, because it, it, I don't even want to say it like that. I want to put it like this. You know how when 24 came out, everybody was into it and people started talking about it and more people tuned in and more people tuned in. Word of mouth, that's that's what I'm looking for. Under the Dome falls under the same thing. A lot of people are like, oh man, Under the Dome is pretty cool or Under the Dome is crazy or eh, it's all right. But still, it's, it's word of mouth that's getting it out there. I don't really think that people are going to be as inclined to, to to tune in on a consistent basis to watch a remake, especially on the small screen of Rosemary's Baby or Stephen King's The Tommyknockers. I I think it's two things. Like if anything, I'd like to see a brand new It miniseries. I think Stephen King's It, when it debuted on TV, was phenomenal, and I think that with the advances in special effects and you know the the shows like. Um, American horror story that you could you could do a brand new incarnation of Stephen King's It and it would do well. You know, I think it would do well because you have that type of an audience already built in. Rosemary's Baby, I think we're we're beyond that. I mean, you know, it's a 1968 film, you know, which it it, it I don't think the concept of it has aged as well as you would have thought to the point where it would require getting a miniseries treatment. I just personally don't see that being the case. Anyway, earlier on in in the wrestling segment, we were talking about The Rock being in two of the top 10 highest-grossing films of 2013, and you're probably asking yourself, "What were the other 8?" Well, let's go let's go through that list, shall we? Coming in at number 10, GI Joe Retaliation made 371.6 million dollars worldwide on a budget of 130 million dollars. Star Trek Into Darkness was number 9, made $448 million worldwide on a budget of 190. World War Z, get this, was number 8, $458 million worldwide on a $190 million budget. Ozda Great and Powerful made $491 million worldwide on a budget of $215 million. Monsters University clocks in at number 6 earning $535 million worldwide on a budget of $200 million. The Croods was number five, $582 million worldwide on a $135 million budget. Despicable Me part two takes the number four slot, $595 million worldwide on a $76 million budget. Super profitable. Man of Steel, $635 million worldwide on a $225 million budget. Fast and Furious 6, like I mentioned earlier, was number two, $712 million worldwide on a budget of $160 million. And of course, number one, with $1.2 billion worldwide on a $200 million budget, is Iron Man 3. This is why Robert Downey Jr. can ask for whatever the fuck he wants. Because when your third film, your third makes $1.2 billion worldwide. I think you can kind of get away with whatever the fuck you want. And Robert Downey Jr. is leveraging it just that, just like that to help his co-stars for the next Avengers. So there you have it, guys. Top 10 gross, highest-grossing films of 2013 so far. Speaking of which, with regards to box office totals, it should come as no surprise that Wolverine, the Wolverine was number one with $55 million. You can see the review for that. On MyTakeRadio.com, The Conjuring captured the number two spot with $22 million. It's made $83 million total. Despicable Me Part 2 made $16 million, bringing its total now up to $306.4 million. Turbo was number four. Grown Ups 2 was number five. Red 2 was number six. Pacific Rim was number seven, bringing its total to $84 million. But a sequel is happening, especially after all the work that Pacific Rim has done internationally, making ridiculous records. Ridiculous. So we will be getting a Pacific Rim 2, and I'm pumped because I'm all about canceling the apocalypse. The Heat was number 8, RIPD was number 9, and Fruitvale Station came in at number 10, earning $4.7 million, $6.3 million total. A couple of months back, we were talking about Beverly Hills Cop ...coming to the small screen, and it seems that the networks passed on that opportunity, so instead of us getting a Beverly Hills Cop TV show, we are going to get a sequel to Beverly Hills Cop. According to Deadline, Paramount Pictures is moving quickly to put together the fourth film with Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol tapped to write the script. Now, obviously, the film is moving ahead because the pilot drew enough attention to the franchise to spawn a new film. But there is no word if Brandon T. Jackson will be in the new film or if it will only be Eddie Murphy. So there you go. I was reading uh, an interesting bit of news earlier this week, and I didn't really put too much stock into it, but it seems to have been making the rounds And they actually finally cited a source and it it involves Jamie Foxx. He did an interview with movies.com and he was asked about movies that he would like to work on and dream projects. And he said that one of the dream projects he would like to work on is Spawn. He said that he's been, you know, he wants to do a reboot to Spawn and be involved. And the other film he would like to do is one about Mike Tyson. Those are two roles he said he would love to do and he's aggressively pursuing them. Not for nothing, I think I think Spawn was, at the time, a, a, a decent film, and I think the problem with Spawn and why so many people uh, felt that it was unsuccessful is because the expectations set on Spawn were set way too high. When Spawn came out, they expected Spawn to make Batman money at the time, and that wasn't the case, Spawn is a, a cult hero, um, a hero that has a solid fan base, has a... A great story, but to have an expectation that Spawn would make Batman money is embarrassing. It really is. That's the problem. That's why Spawn did as poorly as it did. I think the studios sat down and said, yeah, you know, Spawn's going to be as big as Batman. That would never fucking happen. That would never happen for three reasons. Number one, Spawn is way too violent. The, the the social commentary utilized in Spawn, you had an ice cream man that killed children and was a pedophile. You know? That's the kind of shit that No, that doesn't resonate with audiences. Spawn is a great character. Jamie Foxx is a solid actor. I don't really know if he can he can do that. I think he'd do well as Al Simmons, but I think that the the problem with Spawn is that It's a, it's what I like to call a a genre film. Think about it. You have a superhero who's African American and homeless, who fights demons, some of which, you know, kill people at random. There's numerous religious connotations involved heaven, hell. It's, it's way too, it's way too deep. To think that it would connect with audiences in such a broad landscape. What I'm saying is you can't take Spawn and and put a movie out on par with the rebooted Spider-Man. You know? The, animation, the animated series for Spawn, I gotta agree with both Strider and Mortis, was exactly that. The expectations that the animated series put out there were immensely high because the stories were so well done fluid animation they really threw the book out the window with regards to to story content because they sh- they showed it gritty and raw just like the book the movie was trying to turn it into some household family friendly name and that's not that's not going to work it, it it won't work it's the same thing with a character like the darkness if you've re- if you've read the darkness and witchblade you guys know that those are violent books You cannot create a movie about the darkness and rate it PG-13. Can't happen. Same thing applies to Spawn. Spawn needs to be in that R-rated horror genre. It needs to be bloody. It needs to be graphic. But it needs to have good acting. No no disrespect to Michael Jai White because he made it work. But he made it work with what he had. I think that if you would have given Michael Jai White the same creative freedoms that have been utilized in that mini-series for Mortal Kombat, we would have had a better version of Spawn on the big screen. But like I said, the the studios had anticipation that that, that Spawn would compete with Batman in the 90s. Nothing was competing with Batman in the fucking 90s. Absolutely nothing. Any superhero flick you put out back then that wasn't either a large-scale Marvel movie was not touching Batman back then. That notion was stupid. It would have made no sense whatsoever. Anyway, switching gears and still on the subject of superheroes, but going on to the small screen side of things, it looks like CW will be moving forward with a back-ended pilot for The Flash. It looks like The Flash is going to appear on Arrow, and then based on that, they're going to use that and create a TV series based on The Flash. I mean... I like the Flash TV series with John Wesley Ship way back in the day. I thought it was pretty cool at the time. But you know, I think I think with regards to using Arrow as the as the tent pole for that, I think it would work. The Arrow series is surprisingly good. I expected it to be on par with Smallville, which when I say on par with Smallville, I was gonna you know, I'm saying it's gonna start good and then sputter and be shitty. But Arrow is actually quite good. You know? Definitely a solid film, and I'm, I mean, a solid series, and I'm curious to see how they're going to do The Flash in that universe. I'm definitely intrigued, for sure. Yeah, Smallville was good for two seasons, Slick. I'm not disagreeing. No, Arrow's, Arrow's into its third season now, wouldn't it be? (laughs) Uh, Slick. Mortis says in the chat there weren't many there weren't any large scale marvel movies in the 90s blade and that's it no i i understand that but what i'm saying is when batman with michael keaton came out back then that movie was the gold standard for superhero films that was it so think about the box office numbers that that movie made back then and then think of a studio saying that an independent superhero was going to be as big. It's an insane notion. Obviously, utilizing now in the present, things are different. You know, you got your kick-ass, you got your Scott Pilgrim, you know, you got your your movies that make money. But back then, taking a character like Batman that was so mainstream and was everywhere, and then saying, yeah, we're going to put out this movie with this superhero that nobody's going to give a fuck about, that only is known... In, in hardcore comic circles and it's gonna make just as much money as Batman. It's not happening. That's the shit that kills me. That expectation was was insane. You know? And that's 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 where Spawn really failed. That expectation that it was gonna be on par with Michael Keaton Batman, hell no. It wouldn't have even mattered if the if the effects and the movie would have been good. It was not gonna make that kind of money. Just not happening. Anyway, moving on. You know, a couple of months ago, we were talking about that The Mummy was going to get a remake. And it was going to be directed by Len Weissman. Turns out that Len Weissman has decided to drop out of that. So now it seems that they're going to move forward with Kurtzman and Orsi looking for a new director in hopes of getting the movie in theaters in summer 2014. There you have it. Of course, they're looking to go darker and scarier. Who, at this point, who gives a shit? It made Brendan Fraser some money, and that was it. Anyway, as I mentioned earlier with Pacific Rim, Pacific Rim cur- you know, currently in, in, in North America is making some decent money, but it opened in China to a record-breaking $9 million, which is the highest of any Warner Brothers release in the country, and 23% larger than Harry Potter. Pacific Rim is the number one international box office performer... From July 19th to the 21st. The film has grossed $140 million overseas. And worldwide it's made $224 million. So there you have it. Pacific Rim with those numbers is definitely guaranteeing itself a sequel. Simple as that. In some Blu-ray news. And I'm sure some of you are going to be annoyed. That purchased The Hobbit. Guess what? You may want to rethink purchasing another copy Because November 5th, they will be releasing an extended cut of The Hobbit in Blu-ray, 3D Blu-ray, and DVD. But get this, you'll be getting that re-release with 13 extra minutes of footage as well as 9 hours of bonus material. Oh yeah, super pumped. Go buy a brand new version of a movie for 13 fucking minutes. Yeah, not so much. Sorry, but no. If you haven't bought The Hobbit because you knew an extended edition was coming. Then November 5th is that day for you. There you go. So I actually signed this petition earlier this week and, um, I'm going to share the link in the show notes and on the site when I publish the show on the website and it involves dread, you know, with Carl urban, uh, the film made $13.4 million in the box office, but it's become a cult hit on home video and on demand and fans are really, really pushing for a sequel. Carl Urban said that he would definitely do it and that he would like fans to be vocal about it. So, there's actually a petition out there and it's already got 10,000 signatures to um, try and get a sequel to Judge Dread Made. Uh, Dread was fucking fantastic. I, I bought it and it, I really thought it was going to be horrible, but it was super awesome. Super, super awesome. And, um... Definitely sign the petition if you're a fan and you want to see a sequel get made. I'll make sure to share the links for that petition, like I said, in the show notes when the show goes online on the site later on today. All right, so you thought that the What the Fuck movie news was over, didn't you? Well, guess what? It's not because Bloodsport and Kickboxer are both getting remakes. I kid you not. Both Bloodsport and Kickboxer will be getting the remake treatment with rumors stating that James McTeague will be directing the Bloodsport remake. Actually, no, no, no. Am I right? Was it James McTeague? Uh, Uh, yes. James McTeague is involved for the Bloodsport remake. Plus, they are remaking Kickboxer. I don't know, man. It's here's here's the thing. Both Kickboxer and Bloodsport were cult favorites. Hell, I own them on DVD. You bleed like Mei Ling. Mei Ling, good fuck. Jesus, Mortis, I was going to talk about that next. Fuck. Uh, Mortis, you are fucking killing me. Anyway. So, Yeah. Bloodsport and Kickboxer and since Mortis was kind enough to spoil what I'm going to talk about next uh, Rocky back on the silver screen courtesy of a film based on Apollo Creed now the way it's going to work is that this film is going to be aptly titled Creed and it's going to focus on the grandson of Apollo Creed and Rocky will train him as of right now all signs point to Michael B. Jordan for the title role in Creed Basically, what happened was director Ryan Coogler pitched the idea to Sylvester Stallone and Stallone definitely likes the concept and is interested in doing it. So, there you go. I'm curious, as much as many people are going to be like, oh, fuck, another Rocky, I'm curious to see Apollo Creed get a little bit more shine. I think Apollo Creed's character in the Rocky films was tremendous and had so much to add to the story. I think his, you know, uh, Carl Weather's chemistry with Sylvester Stallone was fantastic. I mean, him getting killed by Ivan Drago in the fourth Rocky film was, was was totally unexpected. But I think going that route and allowing Sylvester Stallone to be a trainer and train the the grandson of Apollo Creed, I think there's definitely something there. And I think Michael B. Jordan would do would do well with that. I'm curious, you know. I mean You know, the original Rocky producers, Erin Winkler and Robert Chardoff, are involved. Plus, of course, um, Sylvester Stallone himself are involved. So I'm definitely curious to see um, where they go with that. And, of course, any further developments I will share with you guys. Hopefully, Mortis won't spoil anything else this evening. Thank you, Mortis. I'm I'm just fucking with you. Anyway, last bit of entertainment news to wrap up the show for this evening involves Fight Club. Now, of course, if you've read Chuck Palahniuk's book... You know that Fight Club is a tremendous story that translated well to the silver screen with uh, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. I am I'm gonna before I get into the rest of the story, I'm gonna tell you that when I saw Fight Club when it first came out, I saw it in the theater. It, it changed my my life. It changed the way of thinking that I currently have because it was so crazy, and the concept was so insane, and the message was so I don't know. I think it just flipped the switch. Which is, which is, which is weird. That that just shows how how well media influences certain people. But Fight Club just, you know, my whole way of thinking was just completely changed. And then, coupled with the fact that the book, the movie opened my eyes, and then I read the book shortly after, it was, you know, it was bananas. So, the reason I'm talking about this is that we are going to get a sequel to Fight Club, but not the way you think. Chuck Palahniuk confirmed. Um, that they will be releasing a sequel to Fight Club as a graphic novel series set 10 years after the events of the first book. Now, according to the way that this graphic novel is going to go, Tyler is telling the story lurking inside Jack and ready to launch a comeback. Jack obviously is oblivious, Marla is bored, and their marriage has run aground due to middle-aged suburban boredom. It's only when their little boy disappears, kidnapped by Tyler, that Jack is dragged back into the world of mayhem. So there you go. Definitely, definitely a cool concept, and I'm, I'm interested to see what Chuck Palahniuk can do with a medium that really has no restrictions other than print. The reason I'm saying that is because there's a lot of, there's a lot of instances in the Fight Club book that really just wouldn't, couldn't be shared on screen. The same thing applies if you've read American Psycho, you know that there's a scene involving a rat, a woman's vagina, and a, and a hamster tube that you really can't use on screen. So, to to see Chuck Palahniuk go this route and release a sequel with a um, you know, in a graphic novel format is definitely going to be interesting to say the least. And I'm looking forward to it, especially as a Chuck Palahniuk fan. I've read so many of his books. Uh, Snuff being one of my favorites. Lullaby. Fight Club, they're, they're all great books. If, if you've never read his work, definitely check it out. It's cerebral, it fucks with your head, and it's always a solid read. Alright, so, that's going to actually wrap up this week's show. You've just heard my Take Radio episode 193 for Thursday, August 1st, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, feedback, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at host at MyTakeRadio.com. You can also follow MyTakeRadio on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, and you can also follow our staff there as well. Um, I'll make sure to put their Twitter handles in the show notes, and you guys can follow them. And of course, if you're already on Twitter and haven't followed our staff, make sure to check out our Follow Friday post, and you guys can follow them that way as well. If you're a Facebook user, make sure to stop by our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash my take radio and you can become a fan interact with all the listeners and all the staff there as well last but not least add us to your circle on google plus and if you want the complete my take radio experience make sure to pick up the official my take radio app for android and ios devices for android you can pick it up in the amazon marketplace and for ios devices of course good old itunes If you don't want to use any apps or don't want to have any MP3s on your devices, you can always stream episodes of My Take Radio via Stitcher and also via TuneIn Radio. Last but not least, you can always find My Take Radio on Blog Talk Radio, Zune Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, and of course iTunes. And if you're getting the show via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really appreciate it. And of course, there's always syndicated episodes of My Take Radio on the GFQ network as well. All right guys, on behalf of myself, Slick, Mortis, Andrea Quarkblade and the rest of the MTR, t- bleh, the rest of the MTR staff. I will catch you guys next week. I'm out of here. Peace. That's all,
2: folks.
0: all right, now with regards to music that will take us out this week, uh, kind of on the fence of what we're going to go with, so uh, let's see what we got. I figure it would be a great time to break, I, break out Final Fantasy VII, The Omen of Geneva from ocremix.org. I will see you guys next week.